check out the Popo Report podcast brought to you by Fire and Iron Media. Hey, freeze. Don't touch that friggin' button. This isn't NPR or 60 Minutes. This is the Popo Report. It's a look at the criminals, cops, and scoundrels, the whole hot mess of the criminal justice system. Paul Cialino, one of the country's premier forensic experts. Paul has traipsed through the whole cesspool and comedy show of the criminal justice system for decades, defending some of the most notorious and largely alleged criminals in America. He has one golden rule. He never takes any of this too seriously, especially himself. Wolf Aguirre, a hard-boiled big city cop with a heart. He does the tango through the mean streets of Chicago, delivering justice with a soft touch and a warm word. Wolf nabs outlaws, gangsters, and an occasional traffic violator. The twist? They all thank him and want to be his friend. And in his spare time, he's acting in major motion pictures and commercials. So people, sit back, fix yourself a cocktail, fire up a stogie or whatever makes you happy, and prepare to laugh your ass off as these two geniuses try not to piss off too many people. You're not going to hear this stuff anywhere else. This is the Popo Report. This episode of Chicago's Bravest Story is brought to you by Zoll Medical and Zoll EMS and Fire. Engine 1, Engine 4, Truck 2, Truck 10, Ambulance 82, Battalion 2, Fire 1020 North Main, help is on the way. everybody welcome back to chicago's bravest stories my name is steve i'm here with my host Corey, who is late as always <laughs> i'm on time well you weren't listen you weren't on time uh, like me and vince were on time right. or oh. or our special guest right oh yeah in yeah. cory in cory time he is i'm he is early. I'm by, early, by, actually. By, Corey by, one, by one minute, he's early, <laughs> early by Corey time. So, <laughs> you know, hey, uh, real quick, um, just so everybody knows, uh, point of reference for today is October 11th. Um, on Friday, Chicago Firefighters Union Local 2, Chicago Fire Department, had a line of duty death. Firefighter paramedic Mike Pickering, Engine 29. So our thoughts and prayers go out to his family, his coworkers, and the uh, citizens of his still district uh, who no longer have uh, that hero to protect them. So thinking about you, Firefighter Mike. May he rest in peace. Yeah. Now that we got that done, we're here with a special guest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thir- over 33 years. 33 years and eight months, was it? Yeah, that was on the fire side, fire side of it. I was a on civilian the, EMT before that. Uh, with the Berwyn Fire Department, his hometown, retired chief, Dennis O'Halloran. Dennis, welcome to the show. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Thanks, guys. Nice to meet you all. Yeah, thanks for having us, Chief. Thank you, Chief. Nice uh, quick drive in from the south side because of the holiday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Traffic was uh, actually pleasant. Yeah, he, let's get you in here a he, little bit. He did have to park uh, on the next street over. Oof. You know, but yeah, it's become a thing. What uh, what holiday is it, Steve? Uh, Indigenous Peoples Day. Oh, okay. You try, you right. to get them. <laughs> <laughs> just wondering. I was just wondering. Is that am I missing something? No, no, no. 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 Is it, it's called somewhere something different somewhere else. 
warehouse. You know, uh, pr- probably where Chief O'Halloran's from, <laughs> where you're from. We, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what you guys are doing. We actually, I, I got an email on Friday. They're like, "Hey, uh, we're sending, we're sending the the new rig with a couple guys down to the Columbus State Parade downtown." And I'm like, "Really?" And I'm like, calling other neighbors. I'm like, "Anybody else get the phone call?" They're like, "No, just." Just you guys, I'm like, well, that sounds about right. Well, listen, you guys have nothing compared to the former Highland, uh, what was it, Highland Fire Department, or yeah. the Highwood, Highwood, Highwood Fire Department, oh. with uh, firefighter Mike Fatali used to work over there. I, I found that out. It was crazy. They still, uh, and we're going to say it again. No, they, they don't do it now. Well, they they're not around to. anymore. Right. <laughs> they close up shop, but they had an Italian flag on the back of their uh, fire did, did you ever hear, I never heard about that before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we have plenty of discussions on that when guys would put their, <laughs> on their helmets, uh, ruin the, the warranty, potentially, uh, <laughs> and something happened. Oh, is, is, is that? That's the truth. They yeah. have, read those directions. If you, and, if you put a unauthorized sticker on your helmet, it knows the warranty? Yeah, I think it potentially could. I think yeah. there's millions of firefighters oh, yeah. out there that are. You know, <laughs> I can say that I had a, a shamrock in the back of my helmet. Hey, there we go. <laughs> so, Chief, uh, you grew up in Berwyn. What was it like growing up in Berwyn as a young kid? What was family life like? It was great. I come from a large family, three brothers, three sisters. Um, everybody knew everybody in Berwyn. I was from the South Berwyn. Berwyn's kind of split up into three different zones, south, central, and north. Um, back then in the day, the gangs were all sports teams. We played every sport, whatever <laughs> was in season, and we played all the different schools and across the street from my house. I lived right at cross street from St. Leonard's, and uh, there was a big playground there. We used it as baseball, football, tackle Petaway. It was great playing in Burrow and knowing everybody and uh, growing up, starting to – Grow up and adventure as teenagers, you know, we would probably get um, pulled over or stopped by local police, which knew all our parents, and uh, they would take <laughs> and give us a beating and take our beer and drink our beer when they were off duty, of course. See, that that, that was the good old days. <laughs> that was the good old you days, know? and we were lucky that they didn't tell our parents because yeah. then we would have caught a second beating. <laughs> I was just say you're almost worse off than, than now yeah, right. because the That's cops actually sure. knew your parents. We, uh, sure. I was uh, hanging out at a buddy's house uh, one day. It was like St. Patrick's Day, and like you know, guys were like, "We're going to parade," and we're like, "I'm not fucking going on a parade." So we just ended up hanging out and like drinking his garage. And his dad was a copper in the area, and he pulled up in the alley. He's like, "Hey, what's up, boys?" And we're like, hey, what's And he popped his trunk, and he's like, "We're like, oh, what's up?" And it was all beer that he was confiscating from the teenagers <laughs> trying to get on the blue line uh, to downtown. So I was like, "All right, well, free beer. Here we go." <laughs> yeah, that's the way to do it. That and fireworks. There you go. Yeah, you went to Morton High School. Went to Morton High School. Went to Morton College. Believe it or not, I began uh, in the law enforcement sector. A lot of my my heroes were uh, my father's, my friend's father's. um, They were police officers. One ended up being a police chief. And about 10 years later, he was the one who got me introduced to duck hunting and bought me my first. Shotgun, pump shotgun, probably a sixty dollars. Did you know that he was a? Ooh. Yes, I did. Uh, he, is that why he's on the podcast? Yeah, <laughs> okay. a big reason why. Okay. Um, and he's a big Facebook poster about the duck hunting. You got a dog, right? I have a dog, a chocolate lab Reagan. Yeah, loves his dog. Posts about it all the time. Posts about duck hunting. Uh, I see a lot of sunrise pictures, so I don't know how, uh, you know, <laughs> but, uh, how, yeah. <laughs> how motivated you'd be feeling at that point? Or? Oh, no, no, no. I'm, a, I'm out there. Don't worry. I'm okay. out there. So, 
And so then after that, um, during the course of my law enforcement uh, at Morton College, I, I um, thought it'd be a good idea to take the EMT class. Uh, they, they served it there and you got, I don't know, six credit hours for it. And, and you were just just full blown down the path of like going down the law enforcement. Right? Oh yeah, I was naive and I wanted to I wanted to help people. So I figured if I pull up in a squad car and someone was hurt, I could treat them. Right. You know, um, not even thinking about liability and everything else out there nowadays. But um, so my first job as I passed the EMT and the Nationals and um, was at the Hawthorne Racetrack. Oh, they would okay. hire back EMTs. Uh, especially during the training sessions, they'd bring on paramedics during the races, but during the training sessions, they'd bring on EMTs. And we'd, when the jockeys and trainers are running the horses, they'd have to have an ambulance there. So I think I was making six or seven bucks an hour, and I spent more than eight bucks an hour um, betting on the horses that I was getting <laughs> tips on. And I didn't bring much home. What, uh, what year was this about? Early 80s, okay. early 81, 82. And so then... Um, Met a bunch of people on the Stickney Fire Department, which was a paid on call um, at the time. You got paid two hours for sleeping six hours or being there for six hours. And then there was a call and also callback system. Worked myself up to uh, lieutenant there. There was a mass exit because uh, one of the chiefs um, was pretty harsh on people. He had a lot of issues with um, alcohol. And so... At the same time for working for Stickney, I was hired in Berwyn in 1982 or 83 as a civilian EMT. And we drove, at that time, um, our firefighters manned the North Station 95 ambulance, and South guys were civilians, and we uh, manned the EMT ambulance. EMT ambulance was first out. Actually, I strike that. We were North 95. And we went all, all back. We, we would go past the South Station on a heart attack run. And the firefighters were sitting in there. They huh. gave up the. They didn't want anything to do with the medics at that time or EMS because at that time it was only a five hundred dollars stipend. So when you laid in bed, if you were on the engine, and or the truck, and the, the tones went off and you had a call, these guys rolled over and we had to run on a call. So five hundred bucks a year wasn't worth it at the time for some some of those people. Right. And EMS was just beginning to come on stage as far as paramedics and and so. so. In 1983, we had six EMTs, civilian EMTs. They were going to switch Berwyn over to uh, paramedics. So they sent us to school, and only a couple of us passed. Three out of the six passed. Was that during the Silver Spanner? No. This was long before that. that yeah. you, you guys, so by the time the Silver Spanner came around for you guys, you guys already attempted this uh, to get paramedics in there for the the fire for Berwyn Fire Department. There's honestly. there's a giant gap in this timeline. Yeah. Yeah, well, the 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 fire chief at the time, I believe it was Chief John Keating, one of my mentors and a great man, um still alive collecting his pension, God bless him. Yeah. Um he tried to obviously knew that EMS was go, you know going to the paramedic side of it. <laughs> this thing's sticking around, I think. <laughs> yeah. So, um their first plan Berwyn, Cicero, Chicago's not political. Um, our first plan is hire their own people. So um, that didn't work. So the next option was they brought in PSI, paramedic services of them in Illinois. And um, they split us up. I actually got stuck on the South Ambulance with, I shouldn't say stuck, I was assigned on the South Ambulance with Earl Fields. Okay. The owners of uh, um, PSI. Yeah. 
They started on a Sunday, December 1st in 1985, 84, I believe. And um, I'll never forget this. By noon, we had three full arrests at the South Station, and I thought they were drinks, uh, jinx. Yeah. You know, I mean, Earl Field said, do you guys always work this hard? And I go, not really, I'm on a Sunday. You know, right. Usually we have right. breakfast and get ready for football and stuff. But we were busy and um, worked there for about, well, I worked there till um, 85, August of 85. As a paramedic, I was on a, they had two paramedic and ambulances, and then they ran us as an EMT, and we'd chase and help, just like an engine or a truck chases today. And uh, I was able to build my paramedic schools because um, Berlin was a busy, busy, busy town. We trained a lot of paramedics there um, who went off and become, uh, you know, paramedics, firefighters in, in a lot of the suburbs in the city, and proud of that because most of them are good guys. A lot of people don't like the contract medics, but uh, most people are using it for stepping stone, and I understood that. Because I was right there. Um, after that, August of, uh, I took four tests to get on Burrow, too, by the way, and I was taking tests everywhere else, too. Um, and uh, it was the fourth round for me. I was 25, and I got on Burrow, and uh, right away signed to the truck. Always loved the truck. Truck's where it's at. Now, now, back then, you get hired on Berwyn. What was the testing process like back then? Because we've seen it uh, evolve from when the three of us have been testing and getting hired to what it is uh, today. What was it like for you? The testing process was obviously taking the written test, and then you would show up to, uh, they would have it at either Morton West or at the Berwyn Rec, and you'd have the physical. You'd have to run a mile within eight minutes. You'd have to hang... A pull up hang and uh, uh flex arm yeah thing. yeah so um that was time um you had to do so many sit-ups in so an hour uh big washout for a lot of people was um the aerial climb and it okay. took the longest yeah. they'd have to they set the aerial up and it was not terribly difficult but a lot of people froze up there because it's the first time they've ever done that right fortunately i was on stick you know been in, they had a snorkel at the time and we used to train and um you know, and plus um, during the course of all that, I had my own roofing company. I roofed since I was 16, construction, siding, gutters, and stuff. So ladders didn't bother me nor right. So it was fun. So, um, and, and just kind of backtracking a little bit too, when did, so at one point did you kind of flip over from like, all right, maybe law enforcement isn't, you know, the fire service I think is going to be kind of the path I'm going down. Yeah, I kind of missed that. Um, so when I was... Uh, working at the ambulance and then um, met the guys in Stickney Fire and work, started working there. I was working 12-hour shifts at Stickney, coming back and working 24 in Berlin when I got hired as an EMT. And mm -hmm. I said, this is, you know, this is yeah. cat's ass because I couldn't, I, I could uh, work the construction during the summer and, you know, in the fall months and stuff. Oh, you were like working that. still, yeah, too? Yeah, I was wow. still doing the roofing, yeah. you know, on my days off and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, um, had a crew of firefighters and EMTs helping me work, you know, doing yeah. nothing major, just all burrowing bungalows and stuff. And, sure. And that's what started it. You know, I have two brothers in law enforcement. One just retired. Um, he was the deputy chief in Berwyn. And the second one is a watch commander at Midnight's. Um, can't wait till he gets out, nor can he. Yeah. So the whole, <laughs> right. God bless the police officers of this world, uh, but they are in a different... Um, yeah. They're in a different state of society. Right. Yeah. Right. So... So once you got hired um, on the Berwyn, there was no academy, right? Well, I actually was firefighter too because of Stickney oh, training. Stickney. Stickney okay. training. So you, um, 
they didn't send me to the fire academy, but they did send people. We used to send to Oak Lawn and or Arlington Heights. Okay. Arlington Heights was a great fire academy. Oak Lawn was more of a hands-on fire academy. The guys that went there had a hard time passing the written test, but they had the skills that were that were needed. Who are some of the people that you came up with at Stigney? Um, Donnie Petru, um, Rick Mickle, who's now the chief of Elk Grove Mill, Village, um, Brian Tok- uh Brian uh, Kalagas is real fire. Some of those guys. Oh, God. Yeah. 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 Who's that? Who's that guy? Um, a lot of guys. They're all over the place now. Well, I can't remember yeah. all their names, but uh, um, it's a good time there. We learned. We went to Cicero a lot. We went to uh, Berwyn a lot uh, on mutual aid calls. They, they used to call the snorkel in, and they would send an engine in a snorkel. And uh, we would always have, uh, and we learned a lot going to, but back then in the early 80s, they were burning. You know, mm-hmm. Cicero was burning. Berlin was burning. Um, a lot of mutual aid calls. Yeah, well, so you were definitely, I mean, you. I, I got to imagine you coming in there, you were probably one of the more, um, I guess, experienced guys going in there, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So they sent you to the truck right away? They sent me to the truck. No one wanted a truck. Um, I shouldn't say no one wanted it, but a lot of guys migrated to the engines, and so I was on the truck with some of the senior guys and worked with some of the... Best officers, Ron Vineyard, who ended up becoming chief, um, my mentor. Um, God bless him, still alive and collecting a pension. Mm. I hope he collects it for another 20 years. Right. Uh, yeah, Tony Loretto was with me, was my truck oh, driver. Boy, another one. Yeah, Mike's father. <laughs> Mike's father, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, great man. The bagpiper. Dennis Benakovic is gone, passed away. Um, God bless him. A lot of guys, uh, I got chief, uh, retired chief Rich Calavota. And all these guys were my mentors on the truck, and we had a lot of fun. And Dick yeah. Swade was my partner, either Dick Swade, Dennis, uh, or Dennis Madden, or uh, Greg DeMena. Um, okay. We had a solid group of guys that would go interior firefighting. Back then in Burrow, and the truck probably was first on the line. Well, I was going to ask you that because <laughs> you mentioned the name Brian Colaga, and he said that the culture back then in Cicero was if the truck got there, those were the guys who were putting out the fires. Same thing. Yeah. Same thing with us. And we went through... We went through the uh, booster era. A lot of times we'd take the booster, <laughs> three-quarter inch hard line, because some of the guys didn't want to wash the hose when we came in, and we'd go in there with the booster, and we'd have to wait to the engine to pull the booster. And I can remember Chief Keating stopping that practice, and we'd go into Cicero for a fire, and they're, they're at another fire. We were filling in, and we came to a fire, and it was above um, 10 more tap. It was a uh, apartment fire. It was a bunch of garbage burning upside. We went, and we looked at it, and... Uh, we started pulling our line, as our policies and procedures said, and uh, one of their chiefs showed up and started pushing our line back and wanted to grab our booster thing. So it's like, <laughs> it's kind of funny. And I'm listening to my lieutenant, but a, a Cicero chief starts pulling our booster line, and <laughs> he wasn't running the other fire. He was just, he came in from off duty. But and, and back then, you guys are running like a true truck, so there's no hose on it. There's no hose. Um, and I followed that practice, and a, and a lot of people would used to mimic me and mock me because I wouldn't put a pump on our truck when I when I bought a couple of them. Sure. And uh, my reason was manpower. And when we get into a little bit later in my career because of politics, uh, I'm glad I did because we have a quint on the south side, which is an excellent tool, but it's, but it's a, also a tool where you can eliminate bodies you know like they could like when our truck went down we would bring our quint to the middle house but we always had contract languages four men on that and or women 
So do you remember your first fire as a Berwyn firefighter? As a Berwyn firefighter? Yeah. Um, it was on the... Welcome back to Chicago's Bravest Stories. On the line, we have Khalil, who got some rehab at Sports and Ortho. We're here with Dahlia, owner of Sports and Ortho. So Khalil, what was injured? I heard needed a disc in my lower back. Uh, I actually talked to Dolly on the phone first and she went, you know, she assessed what was going on and uh, I went in and, um, you know, got treatment and it was a very, very good experience. She sent me up with one of the, uh, the uh, physical therapists and they did a, they did an assessment when I went over there. Um, they had me tell them, tell them exactly what happened and how I hurt my back and yeah, so they, they formulated a plan for me and, you know, it was really good. They're very detailed and they're, they know exactly what they're doing over there. Would you recommend Sports and Ortho for anybody who has injured themselves? Oh yeah, absolutely. And the one, the good thing I like about them is they're very familiar with people on the job with injuries that are similar to mine. So I, I like that they could actually like relate and actually, you know, I could I could have you know my injury treated the same way. And you're doing well right now. You're doing good. You're back to work. You're feeling great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm back to work. Um, I've been I've been pain free for like past couple of months now um just, you know i'm still doing the stretches at home and and uh you know i just i just keep on doing what they told me to do and hopefully i don't injure my back again yeah i hope you don't injure your back again too buddy <laughs> yeah. all right well yeah, i yeah. will let you go i know you have to work tomorrow so be safe i'll talk to you soon okay all right have a good night thank you don't forget sports and ortho.net find your location thank you dahlia Thank you, Vince. Just south of 26th Street was a Molotov cocktail to a house, and it was a uh, racial incident. Okay. So it was kind of in a scare tactic. It was like, it was a wake-up call. Uh, family moved into Berwyn, and they weren't wanted, and so... I don't know who did it. I did find out. We had ATF helping us and everything, and nobody, you know. Right. Well, that, 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 that may have been your first fire as a Berwyn fireman, but I read in uh, an article that you actually skipped school at one point to go to the Lumberyard fire. I did. I so did. I, did. I think oh, that boy. we have to put that in yeah. there. Okay. So right. at, at age 16, probably 17, again, we lived right across the street from the church. And my mother being, my God bless her, um, and my father, Irish Catholic, get to church. So she kicks me, gets me up, and go to 10 o'clock Mass. I go to the 10 o'clock Mass, and when I'm walking towards St. Leonard's, walking north, I see a plume, a large plume of smoke. It was the Berwyn Lumberyard, and it was on fire. And so, you know, curiosity, walked <laughs> right past church, watched the fire for about two hours, uh, smelled like smoke when I came home. And my mom said, uh, I was church. I said, oh, it was okay. <laughs> and she goes, uh, what was the homily about? And I died. That's the ultimate gauge if you were there <laughs> yeah. or not. So either it was a broom or a kick in the ass, but I know I got whacked. <laughs> <laughs> Deservedly so, you know. <laughs> so lying about going to church, God bless me. <laughs> right, right. Listen, so, you're not the first Irish Catholic to yeah. do that. You won't be the last. No. So Right. So, yeah, that's one of the first ones. The, the, the real actual first fire was at the racetrack when I was on the Stickney. It was right around Thanksgiving because uh, I remember leaving the Thanksgiving festivity in my house. 
I was only six blocks away from Stickney. I was on the south side of Berwyn and drove there, was on the second engine in, and we were assigned. It was a barn fire, and they have barns for the animals, and then above that they have places for the where they um, housed the trainers and the caretakers and whatever, and it did burn it pretty good. Smoke was real low, and they told us to get um, horses out of the stable. Well, I'm a city kid. I don't know. What right. <laughs> right. I'm scared. That that I'm was that was your board. job at that point. Yeah, was yeah. It? That's what we said. Second engine and get them because those are big money horses. Yeah. You know, and, and, and let me t- like so I'm a Stickney alumni. You you me also too? spent some time there, and we had fires in those upstairs. Those horses are scary. <laughs> oh, they're, and they're strong. Yeah. They're athletes. <laughs> and they, they, like, yell at you when you walk in. The horses are like... Well, and if like, they don't have their bridles on, or like, how are you supposed to g- grab this horse? And <laughs> No training, no nothing. Just right. I was with a guy by the name of Wally Bender. He was a captain out there. He was a great man. He was also the Sun-Times. Um, he delivered Sun-Times locally. He would drop them off at all the stores and all that. And... Um, he just says, "Grab it, kid. Let's go." You know, I'm, I'm trying to move this horse. And obviously, when they <laughs> when we opened the doors, it, it started clearing the smoke, and they they shoved up, they shoved out, and some of the barn patrons or whatever you want to call them I, um, were helping us lasso them and dragging them out. So, yeah. So I, you know, talk about you're you're scared. Your first fire, smoke. You got your air pack on. You can't see, and you're, you're you come face nose to nose to a horse that's twice the size of me. <laughs> All I'm worried about is getting kicked somewhere by the horse. Right. <laughs> right. So. Well, I remember going going there and having to do, uh, um, like, inspections and stuff like that. And the last time I went there, I would rather deal with that horse than carry that pump can up to the grandstands. Oh, yeah. Whatever. Did you have, have you ever yeah. had it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is, that is the worst thing ever that you could possibly do. It's all stairs. There's no elevator. Like, we had to carry this thing at, I'd rather deal with the horse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would rather carry the horse up to the grandstand <laughs> than the high rise back in the the uh that pump can. That was the worst. Yeah. So any other incidents as uh as a fireman that you could think of uh in your career? Anything that like kind of stood out? Well, there's a few. Um it was on that one Cicero fire where seven kids were killed, seven people were killed. Um that was really bad. I was a uh, a chief um, came in and uh, first made day I've ever experienced. Uh, one of the Sean Aaron's Cicero firefighter uh, was in the back protecting exposure, just pouring water, and everybody was out of the building. And how many years got at the time? Me? Yeah. Reroute over. Oh, probably twenty-eight ish. Twenty-eight years. Oh, me uh, on the job? Yeah, you. Yeah, about twenty-eight years. I was oh. a fire chief. Yeah. Oh, okay. I what no, no, no. He's talking like early, like, oh, like early yeah, as we, fire, yeah, while as you're still fireman. Uh, uh, there was plenty of uh, uh, one that comes to mind, and you'll you'll enjoy this one too. Was under fire investigation, uh, bones chopped in half or in thirds with the Burlington Northern Railroad tracks, and uh, Friday oh, okay. Friday night um, on the truck. And I was actually driving truck that day. Uh, we were uh, coming south. Report of a fire at the hospital. Fire alarm. So complacency kills. Mm-hmm. We uh, get the fire alarms at the hospital all the time. So we nonchalantly go down the stairs and, and uh, start heading towards the fire alarm, towards McNeil Hospital truck. The engine, the south engine, actually. Tony Loretta was the lieutenant on the south engine with three men at the time because we didn't have a quint. We just had an engine. That was one of the reasons why we got the quint in the future. And uh, we pull up to the railroad tracks. 
north of Rotrex, and we're chopped in half by a, a uh, freight train, just slow moving inbound to the yard. And I can see a big picture window on the fourth floor break, and then flame shooting on about thirty. Come on! Oh my God! It was, Jesus! And we can't do nothing. Now I got three days on. At the time, our policy was investigate. Back step stayed with the engine for the hookup or drop a line or whatever. Tony Loretta went up, found uh, you know found the fire, reported it. There was a police officer on the scene at the time. Told dispatch to call everybody because we were all stuck north of the uh. <laughs> Lion showed up, Stickney showed up. There was no, no mutual. There was mutual aid box alarm at the time, and it wasn't structured. So we had the chief on the job, uh, John Lynch. Had a, we had a mess. He had a mess. I was driving the truck. <laughs> but uh, so with time goes, the, the train passes. We cross the railroad tracks. We set the aerial ladder up right below the window, pushed it up, you know, and um, questionable call at the time. Um, but uh, we dropped line right into the aerial, put water in the hose, you know, put water in the fire, mm -hmm. um, knocked it down severely, uh, pushed a lot of smoke into the hallways, though. Um, in the uh, hospital, security personnel, a lot of things worked out in our favor there, moving the patients. It was on the fourth floor. It was at the psychiatric ward, and it was the only floor in McNeil Hospital that was sprinkled. And they allowed the psychiatric people. So every other floor in that hospital was sprinkled except yeah. for this floor? Yeah. Yeah, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah. um, they were um, this they would allow people to smoke there because people were either for drug addiction or alcohol addiction or with mental health problems. They wouldn't take all their vices. Away. I was saying, uh, and a lot of these patients, like they're they're not there for three days. Like they might be there for two weeks. Yeah. Like they like. And, oof. This was a corner suite that they broke out. Um, to, they used to be hospitals, but they broke out, and it's kind of like a suite where they had magazines and couches, and it was a nice sitting area for the, yeah. the folks in there. And unfortunately make a long story short, there was a guy um, that was upset with the system because he was in there for the system. They let him out. He went across the street uh, at a little corner tap and got drunk. And I get it. Came back and got pissed <laughs> off mm -hmm. and started a place on fire. But little did he know that there was a guy uh, sitting in the bathroom reading a magazine, um, and that guy perished. Oh. oh, shit. So I was part of that fire investigation um, in uh, – we got attempted murder when we got him for our aggravated arson, and uh, he's still putting life in jail. And uh, wow. I testified in state state court for that. And when you put handcuffs on somebody, I didn't put them on there. Right. The police did, but I was an arson investigator at the time. I was involved in the interview process. And uh, when you put someone away for jail for life, you better hope you're right. Right. But we did get a confession. Yeah. So let's talk uh, about that. How did you get into fire investigation? What what was the driving factor for you to start getting into that? Law enforcement aspect portion of it a little bit. Um, I always liked puzzles. I wanted to put the puzzle back together. And I wonder why were we there? You know why? You know, and if you can stop a appliance from a recall or something to save people was one of, one of my driving factors. And obviously, or secondly, um, financial. Uh, I got $500 a, a year bon uh, stipend for it, and um, that was, you know, pensionable, I should say, and taxable. Uh, and then I got started working for a, um, we had a fire at a bowling alley, and I was called in the next shift to do the fire investigation, and it was a rekindle. And they had the private investigators there, Terry Hoyle, Hoyle Associates, and Mickey Zito, an old, old um, 
state fire marshal was there. And we did the fire investigation and the battalion chief, we call them deputy chiefs in Bruin, come up to me and says, hey kid, what started that fire? And I told them the truth, it was a rekindle. Uh, they were there five or six hours beforehand. It was a lightning storm and heavy wind and started up on a boat, boat truss, truss roof. And did the fire investigation and when, when uh, Terry Hoyle and Mickey Zito were there, we were doing the fire investigation thing and this was the concept that we all came up with, but I had to tell the chief because he came up and talked to me and then he got extremely upset because no one wants to know, you know, right. no one wants to be involved in a, in a rekindle. Right. But then after that, Terry Hoyle asked me if I'd be interested in the work for him. And so I was working for him. I worked for him for 20 years on my days off. And at the beginning, we started traveling. Well, he was traveling all over the United States in Puerto Rico. And uh, I was his shovel boy. And, you know, he, I worked the Meridian Fire, one Meridian Plaza. I worked Paxson Hotel. Oh, I, actually, I actually did the Paxson Hotel Fire investigation myself. We didn't get too far on it because of all the political on the insurance side well sure. we just had wayne miller from the atf on and he specifically spoke about the meridian fire yeah, yeah. and i mean we'll uh, you know we'll leave that for the the wayne miller podcast they can listen to but it's an amazing story oh it is an amazing story for the firefighters there yeah you know? and and lack of maintenance on the systems yeah well they were that was where they were not allowed to break the windows yeah and uh, they had a couple line of duty deaths in there. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll save that. You yeah. guys can listen to that episode. But um, how far did you get into the Paxton Hotel fire? Uh, they were holding it um, because they were still searching for bodies and stuff like that. And I did a lot of just uh, getting the OFI report, um, reporting to what we had to date. And for some reason. Um, we were not getting very far as far as cooperation, which was not normal for the from the from the city. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if it was code issues or not. I, I honestly. Well, walk us through. We've talked about that fire on several occasions here on this podcast. So, kind of walk us through your your idea of that fire, like if you can. Know. I honestly don't know. Yeah, I honestly don't know. I took exterior photos, and that was it. You know, okay. um, and they wouldn't let us in because they were actually still searching for bodies and. I forgot which insurance company or attorney I was working for, but um, they called it. Yeah. You know, they called it because they weren't spending, they didn't want to spend good money after bad, I guess. I don't know what they're just saying. Gotcha. If so, um, so again, I mean, just because I, I kind of, the, the more I'm listening to you, the more I'm like, oh, I did that too. You know, like I'm, I'm definitely kind of like hearing some similarities. Well, you're not going to be the chief, so. No, no. <laughs> nor, nor, never. Listen, nor should I be. You know, like, I mean, there's, it, it, keep this keep this on record. Not like if, if anybody who makes the decisions has ever listened to this podcast. Or any type of brain, or has even talked to me ever, maybe. Right. Um, but no, I mean, like, like again, obviously, um, yeah, if you're, if you're kind of going along the path of a law enforcement route and become a fireman, like the, naturally the, the investigative portion of like fire investigations is a, is a super interesting thing for, for guys, but generally, and I know we've talked about this on the podcast before, like generally it's not like a younger guy move to become a fire investigator, you know? And, and right. I mean, is that no. kind of the nature in Berwyn too? Yeah. Or like, yeah. So what kind of what kind of got like was there just an opening and you jumped in or what uh, what kind of got you going? There was an opening and I always wanted to be a fire investigator. Right. You know, just, so it was just and there was an opening. We had six guys assigned to the team and um, opening. I took the first one and yeah. and 
never stopped. What, um, how many years did you have on when you became an investigator? Uh, I think I went to fire investigation class in the 87. And I, my, one of my roommates was Mitch Kushner. He runs a dog in the city. I've yeah. probably seen him around here. Uh, funniest guy in the world. Um, yeah, it was about 87. Uh, we went to the um, arson class. And before that, I went through the modules. Went through mm. the modules. Um, ATF guys and were um, teachers, John Malouli and, and uh, some of those guys. And uh, that was the fun part about it, you know, trying to get to it and, and um, trying to put bad guys away because uh, the way I looked at it and the way my mindset was, if someone set a fire, they were wanting to hurt me. And they mm-hmm. wanted to hurt the guys and girls that I work with, and I, I wanted to stop that. And secondly, you know, for the fire prevention portion of it, to help people, um, they do save lives. Fire investigators, believe it or not. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and these names like Jack Mooley, like a, a very well-known guy, um, Mitch Kushner, again, uh, arson dog, uh, runs the arson dog for the state fire marshal here. Um, I mean, these are this is relatively early in in fire investigations in Illinois in general, isn't it? Yeah, chief. Like, yep. I mean, and these are like you guys were pretty much trailblazing stuff that you know stuff that guys like us do today. Yeah. Um, just going through. Um, and you were uh, again, you're relatively young in your career. So your first, did you spend a couple of years as you know just solely as doing investigations for the department no, before no, you got into private or no no we didn't have just a couple of years doing fire investigations not solely we were firefighters and oh yeah no shifts, i mean yeah i'm know. sorry like before you got into private stuff yeah, like you weren't yeah. you didn't jump right up doing no private just stuff i did a couple of years um three four years yeah you know. what kind of cool uh, or cool i guess a kind of a shitty way of putting it but like what kind of what kind of investigations did you deal with as um as investigator for uh berwin at that time again a couple of the arsons and stuff like we had a few arsons we had a few electrical you know i mean we had we had the whole gamut of it um were you there for the roosevelt the bombing on roosevelt yeah no 22nd street or 22nd, 22nd street. I'm sorry. yeah yeah we were there worked along our, our detectives and atf worked most of that but uh, i i was called in i didn't do the actual investigation i was not on shift and uh um, I can't remember who did it. Glenn Mahalik might have done that investigation. Can't can you I, can you speak to that incident at all? Or all I know is uh, outlaws were involved, and that was uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the bikers. Bar bikers, yeah. but the bike it was a bar that had fashion shows, and it was a full contact fashion show upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's funny I've never you heard say of that. it. I've never yeah. heard of it described That's, as that. Yeah. Really? <laughs> no, a full contact. You haven't spent a lot of time at fashion shows, then I guess. <laughs> Apparently not. But now I am. Right. <laughs> I've never been to it. I was I was told. Sure, oh, okay. sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, no, it's yeah. same. Um, so then the outlaws came and... Uh, well, uh, they did arrest an outlaw for blowing... Somebody didn't pay somebody something. I'm not sure if it was over gambling or street tax or whatever. ATF was involved um, in whatever the feds get involved. It's, um, you know. Another arson fire they had was uh, one of the restaurants in Borough, and it was on Mother's Day. It was a very popular restaurant that still has restaurants all over the place. You guys might know of it, but... Uh, yeah. um, walked in... Did the fire. Thank God the chief outside called, uh, hit the horns and called everybody out of the building, went defensive. Is that the Mark, Seneca? Is Seneca? No. Or is that a different fire? That was that, a different okay. one. Uh, that's another one. We'll I'm get sure. to that yeah. one. It's, um, on, it's on my list. This was after that, but uh, Mario Manfredini, 
great man, great family. Great um, pasta sauce. Yeah. Dennis <laughs> Madden. Um, Dennis Madden was the lieutenant. Mario was inside. They hit, hit the horns. They, Dennis Madden says, leave the hose. Let's go. And they, as soon as they got out the front door, the AC, the large rooftop AC collapsed right where they were at. So great call. So um, for people who are listening, Chief, when you're saying hit the horns, explain to people what, what that means. When they hit the horns, when they hit the air horns, they call for an evacuation over radio, but sometimes the radio communication is sparse or you can't hear it when you're fighting fires. Um, the incident commander hits the horn five times out. Usually you'll be able to hear that when they hit the air horn from the truck in front of the building. It means get out and get out now. So they hit the horns and they're, they're basically ordering everybody to evacuate this building like r- right now. Right. No, not a second later after they did, the the roof comes down. So they got to the front door, probably 30 seconds to a minute, I, you know. Yeah. Um, they got to the front door and the roof come down and, and uh, Chief saved their lives. Yeah. Chief Wazak, Kenny Wazak, he did a nice job on that. And, um, you know, they could have been hurt severely, damaged or whatever. Yeah. And uh, why we're talking about big fires, the I read that it was called the world's biggest laundromat. Is that in fact a true statement? Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. Like how big? It, put it in perspective for for guys like me who've never seen it. Probably about as big as this building you're sitting in. No like kidding. Almost, uh, I don't know, four storefronts long. Wow. You know? Um, so it was, in fact, the world's deep, largest laundry. Twenty-five deep to the back of the altar, yeah. and that caught fire. That caught fire. Caught fire up in the up in the dust. Um, lint removal systems. I mean, commercial lint removal systems. Fire, and um, they smelled smoke. They called us. First engine company came in. Before they called us, if I remember the correct, factly, somebody turned on a ventilation fan, and the fire was already in there. So you know what that does to it. It just <laughs> moved it. I wasn't at home, but I came in on the second alarm as a, an assistant deputy chief. Chief Zorowski, Jim, was running the fire. And our regular chief, Calib- Chief Calavota, the full chief, was, I believe he was out of town. I, mean, I can't remember the circumstances, but um, when I come from Willow Springs, driving my private car, about seven, seven, um, seven miles, takes me 20, 25 minutes. Uh, I'm coming over the Joliet Road bridge by all the um, quarries there, and I can see the plume of smoke, and I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> we went to a fourth alarm. Sense. I mean, we were getting phone calls from, we called in engines from Bridgeview. Wow. And um, they didn't even know how to get the burrow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It, what, so, you guys are setting up a good signal. Yeah. All you had to do was yeah. follow you it. Just follow the smoke. Get right. you in the neighborhood. Yeah. Um, so, so let's, we're kind of jump around a little bit, but I want to make sure that we're, we're not missing anything. So going back to being a fireman, um, how long, how long were you a blue shirt fireman for? About 10 years. 10 years. Yeah. And, and again, 10 or uh, 11. Berwin at that time, cause I mean, we know, we around here know what Berwin looks like, but like, what does, what does the Berwin fire department look like to, you know, someone from whatever, Wisconsin, you know. Well, Berwyn, Berwyn Fire Department is, um, well, city of Berwyn is 3.2 square miles, mm-hmm. okay? Very small and condensed. Mm-hmm. Population of about 60,000. Um, Was this back back then when you yeah. were a blue shirt? Yeah. Because it's, it's bigger 50, now, no? It's right? probably well, about 58. It, it changes on the, you know, yeah. and uh, it's a lot bigger, but we're going according to the census. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people that don't report, you know, and uh, for whatever reason. Um, we have three stations, one north. Out of that station now goes our, in, our engine 902 and our ambulance 905, which was the busiest in Loyola system. 
Um, Cicero could probably beat us, but they had four ambulances at the time. Right. Uh, so, um, and then in our main station, we have a ladder truck, a full-fledged ladder truck with no pump. Mm-hmm. We have an engine, and then we have an ambulance out of that station, and that was all changed after Silver Spanner once we get to that. And then um, right. we have a jump company with the truck. It's a fire call. Four people go out on the, on the uh, truck. Truck the engine. And then, uh, yeah, they jump the ambulance to the truck. And then okay. the ambulance stays, and then one of the outlying stations sends an ambulance for EMS. Okay. Our south station has the Quint and um, an ambulance okay. staffed. Quint is staffed with four people all times, and the ambulance is staffed with two. And for the longest time up until, what was it, a couple years back, I mean, you guys had, you guys were primarily a career department with a couple uh, contracted paramedics, right? Right. We had career <clears throat> department. Um, How many guys? 60. Okay. 61, 62. Good size department. Yeah. 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 Was Berwyn unionized your whole career? Oh, yeah. Or, yeah. And by the way, I'm, I'm proud to say that as a chief, I paid union dues, and our whole department was full 100% yep. union, including up until today. The Lo- local 506 is like the little local that could. Like, they they do well, and they stick together most mostly, it seemed like, and uh, – you know, all, they got all their chiefs paying, and everyone's paying in the pack. And uh, you know, they've always been uh, been heavy in the in the political circle. You know, so it, it's that's that's something. They're all, local five hundred six. Always like they said, the the biggest little local in Chicago land, or the little local they could. Yeah, and again, that a lot stems from Ron Vigard. He was a secretary treasurer mm-hmm. under Dave Foreman, a president. Um, he, well, our guys right after Chicago went out on the walkout, our guys struck. Um, I was not around for that, but some of the guys were around Vineyard was one of them, and uh, they struck for decent pay and um, benefits. At, at the exact same time? Just a little bit after. Yeah, okay. I'm telling you, you were right in the neighborhood, though, huh? Yeah. When you started. Yeah. Huh. Well, quite quite frankly, I don't remember it because I was a kid that was... Right, 15. you had your eyes I on had, the prize yeah, at that point. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows what it was. Right. Well, so after you became chief... Now you're having to deal with like the like union stuff from a, a management aspect now. How was how was it how was it working with the guys and I know you always had and this is from the other guys that, that I know who work in Berwyn, that you are always one of the firemen, no matter if you since you were lieutenant, since you made chief and but that dynamic changed with your with the guys once you became a chief because you're more management now. But how did that dynamic affect your working relationship with the guys when you had to do you're sitting on the other side of the table for like negotiations and stuff like that? I think it went pretty good. Um, number one, our current mayor Robert Lavero, um, definitely public safety friendly. Yeah. Makes my job a lot easier because when I go up and explain to things, um, also union friendly. Um, the previous mayor that appointed me um, was not so much. He thought a lot of the public, in general, employees were stealing. Um, and I don't mean stealing, stealing, but, you know, they're right, right. ghost employees and all that kind of stuff. Um, that was a little difficult because uh, guys went out and got politically active. Uh, one guy stopped by a fire station and um, wanted... Uh, the first mayor had spies all over the place and wanted uh, wanted him fired. Inside, yeah. inside the fire department? 
No, not inside, outside, okay. but they're driving around the station and sees Joe Blow walking into the fire station right. and gets on the phone. So 10 o'clock one Sunday morning, I'm at church, and uh, I get my phone's ringing, right? And it's the boss. And I said, I'll call him after church. No, two minutes later, it's ringing again, it's the boss. I'll call him after church. Then the third time, I said, I better, something's happening, oh. I better go. <laughs> I went outside, he starts screaming at me, wants this guy fired, right? And I says, I can't fire him. You can't fire him. I says, we have to do an investigation, do the proper steps. And, and uh, I says, I'll start that right now. Call up the deputy chief. The deputy chief went over there. Sam Molnar was the chief. Um, and but when you said it was your boss calling you. The mayor. The mayor. The mayor. Okay. The mayor's okay. in Borough and the mayor's our boss. I, okay. I reported only to the mayor. Okay. And that was it. Now, city council helped. So the mayor called you and you let it go to voicemail two times while you were at church yeah. before. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was you were in church. <laughs> I needed like, to pray for yeah. myself. There you go. No Eucharist yet. <laughs> no, and it was it was getting to my defense. It was getting towards the ends of mass. So I, you know, <laughs> no, I I, ten minutes. minutes there, nobody's so, yeah. nobody's faulting you yeah. for you know. You get you're in church. Yeah, it's your one time that you should be allowed to not answer that. And lightning call. wasn't striking, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and then you know, and I explained to him that we have to go through the whole process of um, investigation. And long story short. Fireman that was in question that was out campaigning stopped in the fire station to use the restroom and paid somebody five bucks from last shift that he borrowed or something, and that was the bottom line. But the mayor still wanted a fire, but we didn't get it. You know, I so somebody actually it. caught that transaction. Yeah. Well, they that. saw him going into the station. Oh, that was it. Yeah. Okay. That's all they saw. And and but he had a clipboard and he would probably out pass outs, you know, whatever they're doing, which is not unusual. Yeah. In Berwyn or no. Cicero in that or that area. Yeah. You know, so now the transition from blue shirt firefighter to officer, you went to, they, was it the normal testing, take the lieutenant's test? Yeah. Or? In Berwyn, you have to have 10 years on a uh, contract to uh, take, um, take the test. So I think I got made 11 years, um, normal uh, promotional lieutenant's exam. Um, I was in the right place at the right time. There was a bunch of moves at that time. Um, I moved people retiring, and uh, including deputy chiefs. Um, I was made lieutenant, and like three days later, I was appointed deputy chief as ship commander, <laughs> but a floater. So, um, again, right time, and I had friends. There you go. <laughs> so I'm, they're brutally honest with you. So no, no so. captains in Berwyn. Now there is yeah. under, under my watch. We trained. We created a captain's position for uh, training officer because we had okay. a hell of a time keeping a training officer in there. So when you became chief, that was one of your things that that you accomplished was putting together a captain position. But you only you only put it together as a, a training officer. Training officer, that's correct. But now the training officer, if he has to put three years in, and at two and a half years he has to send a letter of intent to the chief officer saying, I'm going to stay three more years or I'm going to go back online. Is he on an apparatus during that time? There is one currently now. No, he's just full-time training Like a 40 hour employee. We had to throw a bunch of, um, a bunch of uh, carrots out there because we were going through training officers. It was, it's a tough position. Well, I mean, you do whatever you have to do to make that position. And then now that you have that position made, now it's a much easier transaction to moving forward it's so. easier it's easier to accept because number one they're they're moving off a 24-hour shift and you guys know what that is and you're going day to day nobody lives close to berwin anymore yeah. um, you know relatively close to your traveling we also got the chief um the captain a car 
to oh. use back and forth to work, and obviously the car to run the training evolutions between houses and stuff like that. Okay. It's even worse now. Yeah. To be the training officer. I mean, I'm not, but it's a <laughs> fucking nightmare. Oh, it's there's so many unmandated stuff that you have to continue on top of your medics. You know, licensing and stuff like that. It's it's ridiculous. Oh, that's right. Now he has to Everything. do the medics, yeah. too. Yeah. Like, yeah. We had an EMS coordinator that would handle the medic side of it with the Ottawa right. Hospital. Great hospital, Dr. Sishan. Good man. Yeah. Um, St. Pat's graduate, by the way. Right, right. So yeah. I want to I go back before I forget. Um, during the whole Silver Spanner, that was going on while you were a chief? Yep. Okay, that that takes a lot of politicking to move that forward because you have the contract that may be in bed with the village and everything like that. Explain that fight. How how did that go down? And you know, we have um, AFFI who does their podcast here. We've had a bunch of like hard hard stories of union fights on this podcast. So how did? But we've never had somebody from a chief's perspective walk us through that whole silver spanner part of Berwyn. All right, I'll be I'll, uh, brutally honest here. Uh, the union leadership at the time, Tom Hayes, who is now the current chief, and Chris Coniglio, who is now the assistant chief, came to me with this process. Um, again, we have a public safety friendly mayor. Um, these guys crunched the numbers. I looked at the numbers. This was pretty much like negotiations. We kept this hush-hush, had a couple meetings with the mayor. Did, did you want it to go through? Oh, absolutely. You were for it from, absolutely. from the start? And okay. here's the reason why. I commend all the contract medics. Most of them use it as a stepping stone. Now, PSI can't even hire paramedics because there's not many out there in all the companies. All the companies are the same way. But at that point, we had such transition that we kept training people and they'd leave. And then we kept training people and then they'd leave. And we were, we were concerned. Most of the guys were decent guys and girls, but there was a few troublesome, you know, nicest part about working for a contract or working with a contracted service is when you're the chief. And if I didn't like Steve Hurling for any reason, get him off my contract. I get just, it. Just using his name as a, uh, I get example. it. Yeah. No, no it makes sure. sense. For it instance, makes, it definitely makes sense. So, <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, getting rid of them. I only meant that as an example. <laughs> Steve is actually a contracted podcaster here, yeah. too. <laughs> I was actually the last PSI paramedic to work a shift. Really? Yeah. really? I handed really? over the ambulance to two local 717 uh, guys. Cicero guys? Yep. And uh, huh. we, me and uh, Clayton Schmidt, yeah. and we graciously showed them where everything was, and Said good luck, and we, we went on our, our way, and hey, business is business, mate. Went straight Baby. to the bar. Business is business, and I went straight to Cicero after that. So, right. <laughs> but, well, uh, yeah, well, I mean. Uh, yeah, Steve and I were both on the contract there, and yeah. it was, uh, Steve, you tell me if it was like this, but we didn't eat. Uh, we weren't in with meals with, uh, no, no, with no, the no. guys. We were completely separate, and it but they'd there ask you to go get something in the ambulance, right? Hey, run, give me a pack of cigarettes or give me a cigar or something, right? I, I don't recall that. No. This is what I always – because I, I, spent, I spent two years there, and the chief was always good to us. Uh, most of the guys were always good to us. You know, then there were a couple guys that were – it's just like anything, and this is how the EMS and fire are in Illinois. 
there's guys that just don't like paramedics because they don't like paramedics. Uh, nobody knows why. And there's guys that uh, don't like anybody because uh, they're just crabby assholes uh, and they could be fantastic firemen and whatever. But, uh, you know, that's just the way it is. And um, and then you throw in the element of we were contract and, and they were union and uh, Berwyn being such a strong union that – they kind of separated things, and, and they probably had their reasons why they did that. I'm not uh, – I know why they did it in Cicero, uh, but they had their reasons why they did it. And if you were a good medic and you did your housework well, and you ran your calls – What was your no, housework every day? Clean the bathroom. Clean the bathroom. That's it. That, that was the contract. Five minutes. Job. Clean yeah. the bathroom. I was done, and I ran my calls, and everybody left me alone, and that was it. And so if you were getting picked on, you probably were getting picked on because you talked too much or – there's you other know, stuff. Going uh, on. There was other things going on. So, yeah, I don't. I don't remember any anima. There was just a separate, a complete separation. Yeah. I don't well, remember most, talking. To most anybody people my with time, these but. these you know quote unquote horror stories or whatever. They either one they never worked there, they really worked there, or yeah. two, they probably had it coming to begin with. So if it wasn't there, it was gonna be somewhere else. Yeah, nobody yeah. bothered me. They knew I wasn't gonna try and stay, uh, stick around and make a career out of out of it. And you know, I was trying to move on to get my experience and move on to bigger, better things. It, it was an amazing place for experience because you did a bunch of runs and you you went on good I, runs. I've never pushed so many drugs in my <laughs> life. Right. It was unbelievable. I went. We went through a tomidate like it was nothing out there. <laughs> Right. It's a and, training. And now that now yeah. it's accommodates history. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you may have been the last person to use it. <laughs> hey, I used to use epinephrine. Yeah. <laughs> and bicarb. <laughs> and that's it, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's so let's go back and uh, talk about some other memorable fires because I know that on your list of memorable fires, the Remax fire. The Remax in Seneca. We were the night before. We were at a. And were were you a chief there? Or were no, you still no, fireman no, 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 fireman. Still okay. fireman there. Um, and we what, were, what were what were you doing at that? I was fire? At, the night before. We were at a um, during the, when the fire happened. We were at a firefighter's retirement party. Need okay. I say more? <laughs> uh, late night, early morning, probably, mm-hmm. and um, they call us back. Uh, they transport us over to the thing, and by this time, most of it was done. You know. Uh, so what do the relief ships do? We start rolling hose. So rolling hose with a headache is no fun. I'm sure you guys might have done that. <laughs> Never. I, have, I have no clue what you're talking about. Uh, so we were pretty much on the cleanup portion of it. And um, those two were arson fires, separate fires. One was a point of opportunity. And um, wasn't much involved in those investigations because uh, they were so much earlier in my career. I was still just a firefighter in, in the investigation. I think I was an investigator, but... The chief at the time, Vern Peckis, God rest his soul, was uh, a fire investigator, so he was like the lead and kind of took all that. So, um, yeah, that was a, that was a heck of a fire, though. You know, I mean, they sent uh, the North Riverside chief down to the second fire, which you could look down the block and you see a porn. And so these were going them. at the same time, both. Yeah. Okay. They were all, one was started. They were at the Remax fire, and then the, the other one started an hour. Yeah, you know, I mean, I know they were fighting the fire, and they looked down, and they seen another <laughs> fire about, about six blocks away. Well, let's let's get off of uh, fires for a second, because I want to talk to you about something. When I was reading the same article, you, you got an award by the Bricklayers Union. Do, do you know where I'm going? Layers, no, for your chicken and rice. Oh yeah, <laughs> fuck Sammy Mullen <Moe> <laughs> and John Lynch. 
So they, so you, you made some infamous chicken and rice dinner, and you the Bricklayers Union gave you a, a, an award for for yeah. this meal. Yeah. But it's it's not for the deliciousness of this dish, is because they said that you if you ran out of mortar. You, you could build a building with it. Oh, so to my defense, to my defense, I was I was trying to eat eat and feed. The, none of those assholes would step up. Right? So I was trying to cook for the house of eight guys, which is rough because everybody doesn't want a pork chopper here or there. But put this chicken and rice together, and somewhat healthy meal, and we get a call, and it sat in the oven. And, and anybody uh, who's cooked rice before understands. Coagulated <laughs> and set up, and you could throw it. I could have hurt someone if I threw a pan at somebody. And uh, so these assholes. And, and then one time we had. Um, so what'd they do? They ended up getting the. Fuck. Well, half of them made it, but then one oh, uh, John well, yeah, Lynch, who was uh, he's a big guy, he yeah. starts screaming. He was the deputy chief at the time. He said, "I wouldn't feed my dog this shit." <laughs> I was like. <laughs> Would they, did they put something together, though, or what they do? They ate it, and we probably ordered a pizza a half hour oh, later yeah, or something. Yeah, but we yeah, had a no, call get, in between. So. How, how did the bricklayers yeah, what, get, did get they involved end up in that? I I, actually, I, Somebody I, dimed you out. Yeah, well, that, or you I, know I don't know. This. Oh, okay. <laughs> but you actually got, like, an award, though? No, I never got an award. <laughs> you said I did, you an award. I did get, well, that's, I, I don't know. You probably got a fucking piece of paper. Yeah, Okay. Then um, they framed it, you know. They yeah, did. Okay, all right. But his, it, that that has stood the test of time. That that story. It's a nice one. Uh, I like, uh, like because what? Let's who gave, who to the, gave, hold on, Let's name names. Can we name a name? No, it, of course all right, not. All right. Of course not. The the, uh, the other one was um, we were interviewed by the Borough and Life, which is a local suburban newspaper, mm-hmm. and they were focusing in on fire service. So they came in again. John Lynch. Um, was there, he's the deputy chief, and I was upstairs cooking, and um, he comes in, and they take a picture, and he says, and I was cooking tater tots. That's it, put tater tots in the oven. Oh, and, no. he, and he tells him, this is my homemade tater tot, because I'm Irish. <laughs> <laughs> Can you say asshole? <laughs> but uh, we had, you know what, back in those days, um, we should, I hate to say this, but we should have paid the city of Brome because it was like boys club every third day. Yeah. You know, we had so much fun. We were working. Right. We were getting the job done. When there's fires, there's more community. There's more uh, getting along. When there's no fires, that's when people start to bark and bicker. Oh, yeah. yeah absolutely. So, Berwyn burned back in the, yeah, we your, were, your heyday as a fireman, right? You were yeah. you were going to a lot of yeah. fires back then. Yeah, we had, you know. Because you were going to Cicero as well. Cicero and Oak Park. And, yeah. You know. That whole, that whole area, like. All your surrounding areas, they were all, that was a heyday of heck. Yeah, because of writing many grants, that our Division 11, smallest division, but most populated, yeah. dense population, where we're living. Oh, here. really? Oak Park, yeah. I mean, Oak Park, Berwyn, Cicero, R3 flats, four flats, Cicero, same thing. But you, you know what, the unique things about Berwyn is the fact that I don't think people can appreciate how the train tracks just completely can cut you off from uh, each side of Berwyn, and that's why you have the stations where they are, right? Because once those trains go on, you get one of those trains that takes could be twenty minutes before that train clears that that yep. intersection. Absolutely. And so, then now don't forget, we got the Canadian National that runs through Toronto Triangle, and there's a couple of stairs that are sections of the west side of Berwyn get blocked, and sometimes those sit to change crew. Yeah. yeah. Oh, geez. So. And then you're working a cardiac arrest. Yeah. Yeah. 
Thank yeah. God you can go back to, to Austin. To Austin <laughs> or, or go to Viaduct underneath and go to Oak Park without hitting it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I have a, a couple of questions were sent in to me. Um, the, oh, boy. The, uh, I got questions. an anonymous question from Mark Taylor. <laughs> um, oh, I love him. Good man. <laughs> he wanted to know. He said he didn't have the guts to ask you why your nickname was Otto. All right. Well, Uncle I, Otto, I, right? I, I, well, oh, he's got, that's what Nick calls me because yeah. I, I treated him like a, a stepchild. Yeah. Uh, as he should be. <laughs> as you right should, now. yeah. Right. I love him. Love him dearly. <laughs> back in the day, back in Berwyn, uh, my neighbor was building a garage. And I always liked to get on it. probably 10 years old, maybe 11 years old. And I was helping this neighbor build his own garage. He was in construction. And um, he was a carpenter, and his apprentice was Otto. So wherever he called me to get a hammer or bring him a two-by-four, and he taught me a lot, he started calling me Otto. And so everybody in the neighborhood started calling me Otto, and then it just progressed on through my career. But the funniest part is when I graduated eighth grade at St. Leonard's, we had Monsignor Farrell calling up the names. And Monsignor <laughs> Farrell had a, uh, um, a speech impediment. He had some throat cancer or something like that, and he would always have, like, the growl to talk. And when he said, Dennis... Otto O'Halloran, my mother started crying. That's not his God-given name. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was going to stick with me from then, and it did. Yeah, it it was did. That, then it wasn't going away. Yeah, yeah, so it's all harmless, all good. And thanks, Mark, buddy. I appreciate it. Hope you're doing well. Please stay safe. You're a good man. Well, uh, what about uh, Tim Finnegan? Tim Finnegan Tim. is my alter ego. Okay. That's my nickname when Whoa. we went undercover. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, I know where we are. We're at Katrina. Hurricane Katrina? Yeah. Yeah. One of the proudest moments in my career, we took Division 11, took uh, Forest Park's truck, their chief, Steve Glinke, River Forest Deputy Chief Bob Nortier, who is now the interim chief there. Did you guys volunteer to go down there? No, it was a Mabus it was, call out. It was a task force call out. It was out, a task right? force okay. call out. So Division 11 put up a truck and um, a chief. And so I went with the chief. Dave, Jay Diebold was my assistant. He's now currently a deputy chief in, in, uh, in Berwyn. Thank Great God. guy. Thank, thank God for him because he, he uh, was in the military down there, and uh, he could speak their language. Plus, he, we always, I always call him a hillbilly. So, you know, <laughs> they mumble a little bit, those guys down south, and they talk soft. But um, he was my driver, and uh, we took a team down there. We, did some, we were down there the, the second week, and we were getting shots at. You know, oh really? Yeah, they were shooting over our heads. Went to a lot of fires. Uh, I had uh, I had uh, an arrangement of people assigned to me in the task force, and since we had a truck, they were calling it at that time a fast truck, uh, which is a rescue, you know, rich truck. So we'd go all the fires, and um, we'd have fun. We did some work, you know, and then I'd have Pleasant View's truck assigned to me, and uh, I turn around and I look, and and it's something you never want to see, and and they're good guys, and. Granted, most of the... What are you guys taught when you come around an electrical line? Stop. Stop and stay away from it, right? Right. Well, I come around the corner as a chief officer, and I see a guy on the area ladder while it's moving, pushing wires up so the area ladder can <laughs> And I'm like, are you out of your mind? They were dead. Their whole town was dead. They were What they were doing, though, they were energizing the town, and when they would energize the town, they'd start fires. We'd have to go, oh. you know, or the village or wherever. Yeah, we were down in um, Martin... Luther King Station, we were down in the, in the Eighth Ward, which was rough. We took a ride. I took a ride with a captain there um, to get um, fittings for the hydrants and stuff like that for us. They had the different different fittings. Well, that's why I wanted to ask you, 
I mean, I know you guys went down there as a truck, but what were the, how were you guys physically putting out these fires? Like, I would imagine that hydrants and stuff are all underwater. Are you guys just pumping, like, the water source? No, they brought tanker trucks down and everything. And thank God for the rural guys um, when we were going down there. And that's something we don't ever use out here. Somebody told me that's, but when you guys first got down there, it was a shit show. Oh, yeah. Right? And I was told the only reason it got, somewhat organized is because of the forest firemen because they have all this huge organizational stuff and kind of like uh where blue card came out of or whatever that these guys came down there and they were the ones that were able to logistically get everything set up and yeah. and stuff like that the first two weeks was a shit show because it was um not well organized and they didn't call in for the proper help and i wasn't there this is just what i heard the second week, they brought in the wildland um, command guys, and they started really doing it, along with some some New York command and a New York contingent. They were down there before us. Um, uh, well, I'll tell you, we had a few <laughs> problems with some of the New York guys. First, they, they were assigned, uh, they took over a Catholic school or a Catholic nursing or a place where nuns used to stay, and that's where they would sleep. And uh, they were making us sleep out in the parking lot and our trucks and before this is all before the Mavis tents came in we got them there finally and we we're sitting on the gown but um, they wouldn't even hardly let us come in and take a shower there and so there were some attitude problems and Chief Bob Hoff got you know what a what a man in Fox was down there and uh, they straightened that shit out you know because <laughs> it, I'll, I'll just leave that at that uh, they're good good to work with but uh, yeah so the wildland firefighters started um organizing it and they were sending us to different outlying stations at one point we were stationed in a um they would put us on 12-hour shifts or sometimes uh, a little longer we were on a golf course and of course imagine firefighters <laughs> golf course around <laughs> golfing and hitting balls all over the place and start until we got a call we had fun there it was a real nice country club too but um they would organize uh to answer your question they would organize some like the tankers and stuff like that and so i had uh, Guys down from Spring Valley with me, uh, down southern, central Illinois. And um, thank God for those guys because I stuck my finger in my dupa because <laughs> I had no idea how to do a pump operation. I mean, I knew how to draft and stuff like that, but, I mean, I didn't know how to do a tanker operation. Oh, other than yeah. get me water. <laughs> you know? There was a couple of times we went to some fires, and then we were mostly writ, but a couple of times we went in with a truck and we would pull ceilings and stuff like that. And... Uh, one time we were walking back with all the root equipment because we'd block away because of trees and everything else. And uh, when in New York, lieutenants come up and say, hey, you guys, help us load our hose. I said, yeah, okay, we'll be right back in the truck. <laughs> Just because of the way we were treated. I, I heard it became like a competition, though, with the, it, the Illinois Mavis guys, mm-hmm. the New York guys, the Chicago guys. Like, everybody was just, it turned into this, like. Beef with each other. Well, like, you guys were going to a lot of fires. Yeah. And sometimes you would be sitting there and you'd see a header, right? Like somebody was told, like, that's how we would dispatch ourselves yeah. at times. You'd be sitting there, there's a header, and you're like, ah, fuck it, we're going. Well, they assigned uh, um, a New Orleans guy with us, he, you know, probably a ranking officer or a lieutenant. One time we had an engineer, and they would be in a car or a suburban. Most of the time it had to be something higher because of all the water. Well, they would take off like a bat out of hell to go to these fires, and I got the truck behind me that can only go 45, and I'm trying to keep an eye on Jay was driving most of the time. I'm trying to keep <laughs> in between both of them to get them. You know, it was it was challenging because because he'd get to the fire, and we still didn't have no idea right. where we were at. And then <laughs> you'd go down this main street, and it's blocked by a tree or something. So. 
we had a fun. I do want to say one thing, though. The most, uh, it was nice to get out there. It was a really nice experience. But the most um, commendable thing about that was when we would leave and, and go uh, help one of their firefighters, you know, one of our own houses, a New Orleans guy that just got destroyed or wiped out, and we'd help go and try to help salvage that. And uh, that was a really, really good feeling, helping those guys out, because it, they were devastated, bottom line. And Ugh. I felt better after helping tear out sweating my ass off tearing out somebody's drywall, you know, to dry their house off because of the flood than putting out the fires. And fires were exciting and fun, don't get me wrong, but I got a better feeling of satisfaction to help on one of our own, but a different state. It was really nice. How long did you guys stay out there? Two weeks. Two weeks? Yeah. Ride home was great. <laughs> yeah. Did you make the stop in Memphis? We made the stop in Memphis. I had two Cicero guys, two North Riverside guys, Forest Park guys, uh, River Forest guys, Jay and me from Berwyn, and uh, we're driving home. On the way there, the Forest Park truck had a fuel filter problem. One of the farmer firefighters um, from Luke Central fixed it, you know, with <laughs> on the street, just fixed it. Uh, just like, just took, back. The took the bubble gum that he was, like, yeah. chewing. Was, like, <laughs> that, was, that was unbelievable. <laughs> it was, really was. And, and uh, we're on the way home, get to Memphis. Mavis wouldn't only let you drive eight hours because all the OSHA rules and stuff like that or whatever you want to call the rules. So we stopped at a, uh, found a hotel, and uh, Steve Glinky um, and myself says, let's treat the guys. So we took some Mavis money. We're going to buy him dinner, right? So we buy him dinner at, I want to say, an Outback or something like that. We all ate dinner and had a few beers. and It was fun. We leave that. We get back to the hotel. Now, mind you, Cicero had a trail car with a pickup truck. Erwin had a uh, SUV, Forest Park had their SUV, so the chief of the Forest Park Fire Department stayed home with the truck, and some of the guys went out and about. Cause, so, and you also had two very young, impressionable guys, Stickney Stickney guys, guys. Yeah, yeah. that are probably n two of the wildest. Nathan, <laughs> was it Nathan? And, uh, uh, you had, I think you had John McClement with you. Yeah, 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 John McClement, yeah. And... Uh, uh, Nevin Han. And oh, Nevin Jesus. Yeah, Those yeah. are the two guys? <laughs> yeah. These guys are, and these guys were like, I mean, brand, well, I won't say brand new, but they were very gun home for fire service, and as they should have been, you know, full of energy, and it was hard to hold them back sometimes. But we had a lot of fun with them. But um, yeah, we get to this hotel, and finally we break out, and we're going to go for a couple of beers, and we walked into this place, and it all hell rang loose. And <laughs> they're trading shirts with everybody. and you know, so I, Honestly, the people in the crowd found out who we were, and they were really nice. And, you know, I'll leave it at that. I don't want to get anybody else in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> what a gentleman. <laughs> yeah. but, but on the way home, well, we say, okay, we're getting up at 6. We're going to leave by 6.30. Um, of course, the... Steve was out there watching his truck and, and uh, waiting for people, and slowly they're trickling down, and, you know, eyes bulging red and, <laughs> you know, headaches. And uh, I, We had to set, assign a different driver to drive Cicero home because <laughs> they weren't impossible. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, after two weeks. You guys deserved it. Yeah. yeah. Guys deserved yeah. Well. I, uh, the boys let their hair down there. Let me <laughs> Good. So, um, yeah, that's back to Silver Spanner, though. We ended up having a lot of bumps and bruises. Anybody that's going through it uh, realized that. I know Cicero's realizing it. Um, what, what was your biggest challenge? Like, because for people who don't understand what the Silver Spanner is, it's a way for you guys to get out from under the contract and start sending your own guys to paramedic school. And it, during that transition period, people who are 
well, certified in your your region can work as paramedics trying to fill that gap before your guys, so your guys can finish paramedic school themselves. But it's not an easy transition because how many guys were you sending to paramedic school during your silver spanner? I think probably about three. We had about seven on there, maybe six. But, um, that we hired. Th but three, I mean, what's paramedic school now? From total, were these guys already EMTs? Were, I think two, yeah, most of them are EMTs. Okay. So if, if, you know, so there's a year right there just to, for them to finish paramedic school, right? Right. So you have a year of you filling the gap with um, non Berwin personnel. So it's well, a, let's it's say a, hire. Did you guys hire anybody? Um, well, New we changed our hiring process to hire firefighter paramedics. We still had to hire at the time because of retirement. We had to, we, we, the proposal was 12 firefighter medics. Mm -hmm. uh, at the time, we hired 15 because of retirements. Were you hiring at the time during Silver Spanner? Before that. Before uh, that. Yeah, we were starting to hire paramedics. So you only needed uh, seven in-house paramedics to well, go, or Berwyn firefighters? So the, the, the point of the Silver Spanner is for a period of time, not only are you creating your own personnel to put on, but you're also saving money. And so there was this big chunk of time where they were bringing in union firefighter paramedics or, or from other uh, IAFF unionized fire departments. And so guys from Cicero and North Riverside Chicago. and Chicago, uh, Mike Pickering, yep. uh, who passed away, was one of the Silver Spanner guys. Um, they would come and they would they would work those shifts. He's got three guys uh, that are coming off the old list that he's sending through paramedic school, and now they have to create a new list. With by, the by the way, all those guys, the union um, um, talked them into going on their own. There was no overtime, right, no nothing. Right. They did paramedic school on their own. So and EMTs, right? And then they're also working shifts on the Silver Spanner. Right. On top of it, because they allowed the EMTs to drive for a little bit. They allowed to go one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. Yeah, so one yeah. medic, one EMT, which I was really, um, that was really a sticking point with me because um, you guys are all medics. You know there's two medics are better than one. And when you're the single medic on the scene, you don't want to be doing something that you're not supposed to be doing, you know, and it's just too much stress and level yeah. on it. And, you know. But then they turned around. They created their uh, the new list with the firefighter paramedics, and that's when you guys ha that's, hired like fourteen people. Yeah, or fifteen. Yeah, uh, twelve for the program and three to replace retired. So at that time, then we got it up and running. Um, one thing for the younger firefighters and the, and the paramedics: do the work. Be there for the. the I had a hard time filling paramedics or paramedics for our our uh, football games. You know, we had to go to Morton West and sit on a football game. I get it. Nobody wants to come on a Friday night, but you're getting paid to watch football free. Granted, during the Silver Spanner program, and I think it was 25 bucks an hour, not big money that we're used to, but it seems today that they don't want to do the work. They don't want to work overtime. And I'm talking to a lot of fire chiefs, and it's not Berwyn. It's everywhere. Oh, it, it is everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, but, it's, it's, and they're having a hard time filling these lists also. Um, you know, pro, a friend of mine uh, it works out in a western sub suburb fire department. They were supposed to hire 13 this year. They didn't hire 13, you know, um, and they went top to bottom on that list, and now they have to create a new list uh, to, to fill those spots, and I think they got to fill nine now, you know. So, and this is a, you know, this is on the uh, – 
the municipal side. It's also on the private side. Mm-hmm. These contracts, they don't have the personnel that they said. The, the big riff, you know, when I worked for PSI, you complain. They open up the drawer and they say, I got a drawer full of firefighter paramedics that'll take yeah, your job that, right now. That drawer is empty. Yeah, that drawer yeah. is empty now. Way to go. Yeah. I mean, there really is a, a, a run on paramedics. We are running out, like you said before. The, the city's the same way. Yeah. And with the city taking um, a good chunk of medics, that's leaving the suburbs with very little of the small amount that was left over, anyways. Yeah, like this is the first time that I can remember where medics were in such short supply. Yeah, I've never heard had it at all. You would think you would see you think you would see that on the police side, which we do just because society. But the fire side, it's a great, and I don't know the answer. I, I really don't. Um, I wish I could. <laughs> I'm on a western suburb um, fire department, fire protection district as a commissioner, and uh, there's no loyalty. These kids will start one day, and next week they're moving to another department, and um, no, and which causes retesting costs money. Yeah, you know, costs the districts and costs the villages money. And uh, but back when uh, you were a fireman, most of the shifts stayed together. Like the same crew worked together for years and years and years, right? Yeah, in Berlin, yeah, because it was all picked by seniority and stuff like that. And I can honestly say, when we had residency, you had to live in Berlin. Now Berlin's three point two square miles, as I said before. We were a tighter union. We were a tighter family. I mean, I would go over to Dennis Madden's house in the afternoon at night. He'd grab a six-pack. We'd watch his kids and have a beer in his backyard. Um, it's hard to do that nowadays because everybody's spread out so far. And, you know, it's a matter of safety and DUIs and stuff did, like uh, that. Did, residence, mean, what, did residency change during your... Yeah, three times. Yeah. Two times. First, they... Uh, well, we were sued by the federal government. We had a... a a degree or whatever they forgot what they call that. So the union negotiated to move out to Cook County first. So which made no sense. I mean, but it was something for us. You know, the, the city gave something to us. Uh, you could go. You couldn't go past Conline Road to the west, but you can go way up to Barrington or way down south to I don't Posen or whatever's in Cook hmm. County. But, you had hmm. to stay. You had, you to, had stay. to stay within Cook County. Yeah, that yeah. was the only limitation. That was the only limitation. And that was the, that was the first move. Yep. So okay. Reasoning behind that, I think. Uh, was they wanted to keep the county vote at least. They're yeah. going to lose the burn vote, but they wanted to keep the county vote. Yeah. And then, because um, firefighters do vote, as they should. Um, then they went into negotiations, and they opened it up to the five-collar counties, which is nice. You know, can't, uh, the only thing you can't live is out of, in Indiana, is touching. So. Okay. So let's, uh, these small victories. Yeah. Let's, let's take a break. Okay, okay, we'll take a break, and we'll be right back. This message. Start all over. That's terrible. <laughs> this episode brought to you by the Federal Savior. <laughs> Take three. <laughs> this this episode's brought to you by the Frontline Team. Vince, who are the Frontline Team? The Frontline Team, Corey. I'm glad you asked. They're your local mortgage brokers. These are local guys. They're a veteran-owned company. They're first responders. A couple I mean, of the guys all, who we work, all have guys, right? Yeah. If you, you know, if you we got needed a plumber, plumber. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's got a plumber, right? Right. Everyone's got a 
everyone's got an electrician. Everyone's got a carpenter. <laughs> yeah. Why wouldn't you pick your own guy? Why wouldn't you want to have a guy who's a mortgage lender? Well, now you have a guy. The team at the Frontline team at 630-534-2900. Give them a call. You got you got a guy. And these are the guys you want on your side. You, you, you're going to have guys like uh, Joy Matthews, Josh Hill, and the rest of the Frontline team. You need to refinance. This is a great time to refinance. Uh, so easy that even you have a mortgage, Corey. Yeah, and it, it, there's they've done some wonders. I'll tell you <laughs> that is for sure. The fact that I can own my own property is is amazing. Just because of the of the work that these guys do out there. You know, they I've heard them. I've heard it from them before. They want you to feel like they're family as soon as you're done working with them. So. Well, when they first sponsored the podcast, I said, hey, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I'm going to refinance. I talked to Josh and I gave him all the information. And this is what I completely appreciated. He said, you're better off just doing what you're doing right now. Uh, you're not going to get anything better than what you're doing. Kind of gave me this whole spreadsheet on the different programs we could go down and just shot me straight. It was like, you're at the best thing you, you can be right now. And that was nice. He wasn't how, trying how to much, sell me on right, anything. How much more stand-up can you get than a yeah. guy who's, who tells you to not use him for your business? <laughs> yeah, you know? I mean, it wasn't in my best interest, and he flat out told me that. So it was fantastic. But these are guys that you will know. Like I said, veteran-owned. These are upstanding individuals, and they'll really go to bat for you. So uh, the Frontline team, you can reach them at 630-534-2900. Or email them at the frontline team at thefederalsavingsbank.com. Tell them Vince and Corey sent you. Yep. Okay, we're back. We uh, freshened up our drinks. Well, Corey and the Chief. Said. <laughs> <laughs> we still realize it is still 11 o'clock. <laughs> yeah, that's all right, though. For the record, it's only one. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> so we we kind of brushed over it earlier in the podcast, but um, as a younger paramedic, uh, when I spent some time in Berwyn, um, one day uh, it was Valentine's Day, about two degrees out, and the one thing um, I remember is uh, the guys in the area, especially Berwyn, Cicero, Stickney, whatever, they always had kind of the scanner on the radio going because. You know, there were like five different dispatch centers uh, uh, that kind of controlled everything. And you would hear an incident and then you'd be like, we're supposed to be going to that. And then they wouldn't send you or whatever. Because these places were also doing, you know, fire, EMS, and police. police yeah. And whatever else they decided to dump on them. So the scanner was always on and guys would, you know, you kind of self-dispatch. You know, hey, we're supposed to be going to that. You got to send us to that kind of deal. And so early Sunday morning on St. Valentine's Day, it's two degrees out, and the radio just starts blowing up. And, like, everybody started getting up, and you could just hear the commotion over the radio, and it was a fire in Cicero uh, that they had going. And um, I just remember guys uh, over by us, they were like, yeah, we're going to be going to that. So they just, you know, they got up and started going. And it turned into a big ordeal. Um, and uh, the chief, you got called in from home? Yes. For that one? Yeah, I used to come into Cicero, Berwyn. Um, it was the most exciting part of the job being a chief. Um, it was not administrative purposes, you know. 
So I would go to any fire I can. What nope. was on fire? What, what was it? It was a, um, what we called Polish skyscrapers in Cicero. <laughs> it's a three story um, home, and they actually converted the attic uh, into an apartment building. And so it's real tall, balloon frame um, with uh, exposures on both sides. Um, they had it. Like really close. Really close. And they had the uh, little houses that sit behind. Um, coach house. Coach house. Thank you. My brain fart. Um, coach house right behind one of them, too, was, was an additional exposure. Big fire. Um, first, I want to say the Cicero firefighters, not only are they great guys, they're, they're, they're workhorses for the most part. They're good guys, workhorses, along with my guys and girls in Berlin. They're, they're, uh, they go in and get it done, you know, um, my experience. And most of the firefighters are like that way. So I just can give a shout-out to Cicero guys who are busting their ass. They did everything they could. They poured the stairway to this attic that was the only exit out. And there was a family of... I don't know how many total family remember, but I know there were seven fatalities. And it was um, very emotional. But before that, I know we kind of brushed on it a little bit, there was a May Day. And I was in the rear sector. And right before the May Day, in the coach house in the garage, because of an exposure, a propane tank left loose, and, and everybody had to check their pants. But nobody was hurt from that. Uh, and uh, the... May Day happened when Sean Aarons got hit in the head with a uh, piece of brick coping from above, um, knocked down, came down the stairs, and put him in the head. And I was right there because I went around the corner to check on this explosion, and I was watching those guys and just seeing what they were doing, and they were going to work. Danny Kempsky is his lieutenant, great Was guy. this early in the fire? Like how many No, this was late. Yeah. This was late. So there were the a lot of people there at this point. There's a lot of people yeah. there. We haven't even recovered or began the investigation or probably didn't even know about the extent of the – fatalities in the building. Um, and so being a chief officer and, you know, listening to, and, and we've trained on it in the city of Berwyn and we've trained on it in division 11, everybody's natural reaction is go to help our guy. And guess what? That pretty much happened. We have to remember, and I don't blame anybody, but we have to remember, we've got to keep the lines in the fires. Guys got to keep doing what they're supposed to be doing because, um, and then let the RIT teams do it. Uh, but um, it's it's a tough call. So, just, so you, know, you were you were there when he actually yeah got hit. I saw him, well, I didn't see him get hit, but I heard the mayday and heard the call, and then I went over there and he was out on the ground, and then I saw his eyes roll back in his head, and I was scared to shit because I thought he so was, actually who actually pulled him out the RIT team. Or well, they his, were outside. They were outside the exposure. Okay, they were outside the exposure, and they were just pouring water into the actual fire building. But so the coping of the brick came down the roof and. He was in the wrong place at the right time, and um, he got whacked out, knocked out, and, you know, we bring in the medics. And Were you on that medical? No, no, I was not. And then, uh, you know, it's tough getting ambulance in there, snow, two degrees, like he said, um, ice, water, fire scene, water, and stuff like that. We got the medics in there, took them to the hospital, and sorry, I remember them cutting off uh, his gear. You know, I remember looking it, – it, not being a doctor or anything, I was like, it looked bad to me. I was really, really worried. He's a good guy. And I remember seeing his gear lay there, and I told uh, Mike Laria, Cicero firefighter, I, I believe he worked our spanner program, but I told him, I says, collect that gear and make sure you save that gear. Just in case something happened, you know, 
Um, hopefully, you know, glad it didn't, but they preserved it and everything was well. But then we started the investigative phase uh, and um, we started recovery process and we put a tarp out there and we started bringing out bodies and pieces and pieces of infants and it, you couldn't even identify it. Mitch Kushner was there with us. We were doing the whole investigation and uh, obviously a set fire. Um, did the investigation. The guy got charged. There was a slumlord, and then and the slumlord hired his maintenance man to do it. He poured something on, on the stairway, blocked these people's only exit. Um, so we were going through the investigation portions of it, and I know it affected a lot of guys, firefighters there. I can remember a few guys screaming, a few of the veterans, Cicero firefighters, screaming, um, get these fucking rookies out here and let them pick this shit up. We've seen enough of this, you know. And then I knew right then and there because it had affected me, one of many, and I knew it was affecting everybody. So as a leader, I started pushing, which is a hard thing to do in Cicero and in the borough area, including myself because I'm a hardhead, I started pushing the mental health aspect and trying to get people help or, or bringing in, the, the teams I used to bring in for the incidents. And um, wasn't well reserved, you know, wasn't well accepted at that time. What year was this? There, you still have some guys that are on the job that are booster line guys. And you're asking them to go do mental health stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? Booster lines might be coming back, too, by the way. Not, <laughs> uh, I can't say anything well, for what not. I wouldn't let it be in my department when I was there, but... <laughs> But still, these are some of these guys are old, old school guys. Yeah. And you're saying, hey, I need you to talk to somebody. Right. Toughen up, kid. What? So, <clears throat> what kind of got you going down there? I mean, obviously, like seeing the seeing the bedlam that you saw. Did you did you notice that there was some some uh, some issues after that call? Like it, when you were going back on shift from guys, or would, or was it mostly just from yourself, or mostly, what kind of uh, got you going in that direction? Mostly the reaction of the actual firefighters working the scene on the scene, on the yeah. scene, you know. And you could see, I could see when I'm standing back. I'm not doing the hard lifting, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm, sure. I'm more of the pointing and directing at this time. Uh -huh. But I could see their faces, and I could see their reactions, and 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 the sadness in their eyes and stuff like that. And, and firefighters don't want to admit it. You know, we're supposed to be the brave, tough guys. I wanted to get them help, and it was very, you know. You know what were you seeing on the scene? Um, you saw frustration, a lot of death I'm and sure. destruction, and yeah, and, yeah. and just frustration with From the guys. From the guys. And, and, you you know, had, and the firemen were doing the recovery? They were, move, they were actually moving these bodies? We were doing the excavation during the investigation portion of it. We were going to try to, but and during that portion, when you excavate, we were finding bodies and parts and, and infants and, you know, stuff like that. And, and, um, it was brutal. What know? was um, after the fire, after the fire suppression portion was done? Um, what was left over? There was still, I mean, obviously, uh, there was the the three story house. Yeah. There was the the coach house in the back. Um, were they mostly destroyed, or was the back still, porch was? Yeah, was the it? back porch all the way up. It was a wooden enclosed back porch, so okay. because you know most of that was burned away, if not started pulling away during the day. Uh, well, now the recovery portion of it and the investigation started during the day, early six or seven o'clock. Okay. So fire, fire, fire was finally went night. out. Yeah, yeah, fire was out, put out, um, and the recovery of it. And there's been plenty of uh, of uh, situations that happened in Berwyn too. But a dear friend of mine, Pat Kenny, Chief Pat Kenny, retired from Hinsdale and uh, Western Springs um, 
uh, has that book out there, Take the Cape Off. And so I'm pretty well aware of all the mental health issues and getting help and stuff like that. And I tried to institute a few times through the training officer, we brought some mental health um, counselors in there that were specifically um, fire service orientated and uh, helped a lot of guys, I think, I hope, you know. So you were, you were actively trying to stay ahead of this. Amen. You got that yeah. right. And um, I, it, it's a huge hurdle in the fire service. Yeah. And uh, it truly is. And um, it would probably save a lot of marriages because you guys have all been there. You, you go home after something bad happens and you shut down. You don't communicate. And I do the same thing. I don't communicate. And um, it's a nature of our beast. And we need to learn how to communicate. We don't want to bring that hurt home, you know, and ruins a lot of things in life. <laughs> so for the young guys out there, please be brave enough to talk to somebody. If it's not a new fireman or another firefighter, talk to somebody else. Talk to a mental health professional. Talk to your your uh, HR director. They'll get you someone on the plan covered by your insurance. Who did you guys bring in that you found helpful? There was this Northern Illinois team. Uh, it was all, what do they call those uh one of our dispatchers was on it, where they bring a team of firefighters, dispatchers. One of the guys was from Franklin Park. Um, mm. uh, Not it, the Illinois Peer Support Network? It wasn't available at that time, okay. or they were just starting to get done. But it was the other one. They were doing critical incident distress debriefing team from mm -hmm. Illinois, Northern Illinois, or something like that. They, they had a police officer. They had a firefighter. They had um, dispatchers, nurses, doctors. They came in and they chatted. I walked away. You know, I came and made sure that they went upstairs and sat with the guy. I've done this a couple of times, a number of times after somebody got hit by a train or we've had a bad call in Berlin or um, I, I've sent people home, you know, with pay because they just uh, had a baby die in their arms and they have a little baby at home. And, uh, you know. And so how, I mean, specific to this, it's, I, again, I, I know it's a tough situation. I'm going to keep on dwelling on it, but specific to this incident so you're you're seeing guys working through this recovery you're seeing guys working through this investigation um obviously you're a part of it which um just so a lot of a lot of uh different people understand different people in different fire departments understand like um a place where where the chief's coming from oftentimes uh will be part of the suppression effort and then after that, um, if they're, again, an entire fire department might only have five fire investigators or there's a there's a major job like a recovery that needs to be done afterwards. And so, like, we don't send crews home and then get fresh crews in. Oftentimes, these crews are the same crews that put out the fire, are already mentally and physically exhausted and are now switching over to, a um, switching over to like, a recovery mode or switching over to a investigative mode where these guys are still the same guys. They're just working in a different role. And after the investigation is over, which could likely, you know, could very likely on the um, on the public side take hours, I imagine, for that particular fire, maybe more. Guys are coming home. Guys are coming back to the fire station. What what happened when guys were coming back to the fire station that you saw? Did everyone just go home? Pretty much everybody were, goes their own way. Okay. So we tried to bring somebody back on the next shift. Uh, we tried to, um, believe it or not, um, most chiefs want to help their people. Yeah, you know, and I'll uh, and 
Um, that's all I want to do. I want to make sure, number one, they're okay. Number two, they're okay to show up for work and do the job the next day or whenever they're better. And sometimes that may take a while. And so it's hard because, and I'm sure you guys do this, when the chief officer comes in the room, a lot of people will stop conversation. They could be talking about last <laughs> night. They could be talking about the Sox winning last night. Right. By the way, Jerry Marzullo, <laughs> um, go Cubs. Uh so when they, you know, when they stop, the chief officer walks into the door and they stop, you know, what do I think? What do you think I think right away? They're talking about me. They're talking about something that I did or something like that. So then a lot of chiefs get on the defensive. So um, Even when you did the same thing as a blue shirt. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, no, you, you're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. And uh, but, listen, but probably more, probably what's more difficult for you is you don't know what kind of – what mindset these guys are in. They might have been talking about a bad situation that happened right. to themselves. They might have been talking about drinking at the bar the yeah. night before. Yeah. Well, you have and, no and idea. And then, what like, you're you know, in. when I work different places, we would tell the young kid, like, hey, stop fucking talking to the chief. He's not your friend. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's yeah. not your buddy. Like, yo, what's up, homie? Like, he don't fucking care. Leave him alone. Don't talk to him and don't tell him what the fuck we did last night. <laughs> well, they are your friend, usually too busy doing other bullshit, right, other right. administrative stuff. There's so many needy people inside and outside the department that oh, yeah. you don't even realize as firefighters. You know, school districts are calling you and all this and stuff. So yeah. all that kind of stuff, what but, works on it. But but you're seeing these guys obviously dealing with some type of issue. And so the next day you come in and you're like, you're thinking right away when you come in a shift, like, okay, we let's get some rolling right away. Yeah. And okay. all you can do is offer the help, you know, with the mental health um, and all the HIPAA policies and stuff like that. You can't follow up and check on that. You can come and ask a guy, never ask him in front of a group because they're never going to tell you anything. You ask right. him on the side, pull him on the side. And what I got a lot, and I know some guys that were really hurting, when I asked them how they were doing, they would always say, I'm okay, Chief. You know, the, the rah-rah, I'm going to go, you know, I'm okay, don't worry about me. Well, I know he's not okay, and, and um, I tried, but you can only push a person so far. Well, I mm -hmm. think it was a, a great move on your part to just set it up, put it out there, instead of sitting back and waiting for a guy to come to you and say, hey, Chief, I need help, because it's not going to happen, like you said. So putting it out there and the, kind of letting these guys gravitate there on their own if they wanted to or kind of keep pushing the issue, I, I think that was a great move. And from the sounds of it, like, people actually got something out of it. Yeah, yeah I've done it a couple of times where a baby died. And uh, from, the, you know, the dispatcher that was helping the parents do CPR and to the police officers that were there, I called them all together. And I'm not bragging here, but I called them all together. I got the critical incident stress debriefing team there. They talked to it. Couple of dispatchers came and gave me a hug next time I saw it, and that's all, you know. And uh, one of our uh, firefighters um, privately said thank you, so that you know I knew it helped a little bit, you know. And you, no hugs from firemen. Well, she was a female. Oh, so all right. I, okay, it, as a chief officer, I probably wouldn't <laughs> accept it. But yes, I've been hugged by a firm, <laughs> a firm handshake. Yeah, Ed, a firm handshake. Well, you, I I think it's the same thing that was put together for me. Uh, it was really, and in one of the other podcasts that I did on another show, they called it my first run. And it was really like basically my first bad run where it was the same thing. It was an infant and I had, I'd never done it. I'd never been part of that type of incident before. And I showed up the next day and they had a, like, I didn't know. I, I was like, I was walking into an intervention 
I walked in and these guys were just like, hey, it's not like that. We're just, you know, we're just here to have a cup of coffee. If you want to talk, you can talk, you know. Uh, so we, we sat down and, and I thought I was fine. And if they had asked me, you know, and they did ask me that day, hey, how you doing? You okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. But were then you in a group session? I was. That, and it's a natural it, reaction. It was, it, it was when I showed up the next day and they had the, that team there. These guys weren't like, hey, tell me about your feelings. Let's talk. It was very, we're just here. A cup of coffee where I'm going to be here till whenever. If you guys want to chat, we're, we're going to be here regardless. And just sit down and hang out. This guy was like, hey, I'm from Chicago. I'm from this suburb. I'm from this. And then it just naturally came out. And I felt like it helped me a lot. Just And without even realizing that it had affected me until I started talking to these guys. So um, I think if there's bosses out there who have the ability to be a little more proactive in this mental health aspect, I think it's probably the best way because these guys are going to be real reluctant to come to you and say, hey, I have a problem. I need some help. But if you present them with a solution before they have the problem, I think that's a much easier route yeah, we've been all educated on the fire service. The chiefs are getting more educated as, as you know, daily as we speak. The mental health services, um, the professionals are really helping. It's a huge thing, and PTSD doesn't happen overnight or for one call. It's accumulation of stuff that happens from the day one, your first call. And all that stuff builds up, and there's a breaking point. We're all human, male, female. Uh, we're all human, and... Um, if you talk to people, somebody that understands the job and, and the situations, it helps a lot for everybody. And and for those of you who are out there listening, call me if you need to talk to somebody. You know, call somebody, talk to somebody. And and the best not to do it in a group thing because we're all embarrassed about it. You know, and maybe that's the bad word to say about embarrassment. And we shouldn't be ashamed because it's part of our job, but we should f- try and fix it. Well, I think that's why it's easier like you said, to talk to somebody who's had a similar experience because there's not that embarrassment because we're in the same boat. I think, uh, especially from your leadership stance, that's an important thing for you guys to distinguish that my guys aren't going to come to me for help. Um, I got to put it out there. Yeah, I knew that. And unfortunately I had, I had terminated a couple of guys that needed help and, um, you know, they finally didn't get to them in time. Not yeah yeah I didn't get to them in time and then they they you know they they had previous military experience and stuff like that and they um they just had three strikes and I did everything I possibly could to help them and uh, when I tell a new firefighter coming in my office I give them a speech I says number one don't lie to me um, I'll never lie to you number two I said come talk to me if you need something I will try to help you I'll close the door I'll open the door I have an open door policy. But you always need to talk to somebody. And I said, I will help you unless I can't. If you robbed a bank, I'm certainly not going to be able to help you. But if you, you know, had an issue, we all have issues. Come, come talk to me. New firefighters out there need to understand and learn this. You also have to remember you need a driver's license. Uh, <laughs> if you don't have a driver's license, you don't have a job. And there's nothing anybody upstairs can do for you or in that golden chair, was they used to call it by us, or, you know, in that office. You need a driver's license. 
Uber. Have you had people come to you being like, hey, boss, I really fucked up, and can you help I have. I have. I have your hands are tied. Sometimes. Yeah. Well, one guy came to me, screwed up, um, didn't tell me that he hurt somebody in his accident, didn't tell me that he had other paraphernalia in his car, and I have to do due diligence. I do my investigation. I get the police report. I find the facts out, and then you sit in front of me and you lie to me. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> you got to do your job, yeah. you know. H- had he told you that initially, would that have changed the outcome? Well, I certainly wouldn't have judged him, but uh, I, I tried to get him help in the beginning anyway. You know, um, it was the second, second goal around. So first goal around, you know, you get three strikes when you're with me. Um, some people only give you a quarter to make one phone call. I give you three. I'm too, too honest and too compassionate, I guess, but. It's that Irish Catholic. Yeah, guy. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and I've really felt bad for this couple individuals that I, you know, it's not like I wake up in the morning, take a shower, shave my beard and say, <laughs> uh, I'm going to go fuck somebody. I'm going to go fire someone today. I don't like Joe Blow. I'm going to go get him. I don't do that. None of the chiefs, well, most of the chiefs I know probably don't do that. You know, they're all good guys. There's Did a you have to deal with the union? Oh, yeah. And I, you know, I, I was on the union trustee many, many years ago, one stint. Um, I, I, it's a great experience. And, you know, negotiations. I was there when Governor Thompson signed the collective bargaining bill. I was downstate with uh, Ron Vineyard was my boss, and he was the uh, secretary treasurer for the state. But he brought me down there, and they wanted a bunch of firefighters in the union. I actually had no gray hair in this mustache when <laughs> I was down there. And it was, it was almost a porn mustache. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, you know, so... I always enjoyed negotiations with the union because we had a great relationship, you know, through through our years. And um, one of the things I did, I surrounded myself, as far as my command staff, with some way smarter people than I was. And Sam Mulliner, Tommy Hayes, they're all union presidents. Shows you a sign of leadership and uh, smart men. How was it dealing with Jerry Marzullo? He's How out of it? his mind. <laughs> <laughs> I was his first deputy chief. Yeah. Okay. And uh, he, Jerry had a stint where he left, and he left us to uh, go. It's a great story. He left us to go to state's attorney's office. Okay. So we put a year leave of absence. So the day, his last day, six o'clock in the morning, we get a basement fire, and it's going right. It's puffing smoke, and he's on the truck, and so. To get to this basement, you had to go up through the bungalow and down the basement, you know, middle, right in the middle of the building, right. go down the stairs. Engine companies doing that. It takes time, right? This is before we were educated with flow pads and stuff like that. So I says, Jerry, give it a minute. And I says, take those two windows out. It's right by the dryer because you see the dryer vent out there. And we knew. She said that she saw the dryer smoking and fire on fire. Right? So Jerry takes the takes the window out and nothing happens. You know, the negative pressure sucks the wind, you know, sucks the, there's nothing. So what does he do? No mask on. He's on the truck. He's outside, so I'm not criticizing him. Sticks his eyes, and I'm like in the front of that building screaming, no. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it flashes. Boom, smoke comes flying out. No flame or anything. He comes, mustache, <laughs> all curled up and burned, no eyebrows. <laughs> And, and hair how, how, about, how about those dumb sideburns? I go, you, uh, no, he didn't have them yeah, at that time. Uh, yeah, his Elvis sideburns. Yeah. Dope. No. Uh, 
So he showed up the next day or his first day at the state's attorney's office, which, which I believe is Monday. I don't know. You'd have to ask him. <laughs> With no day. eyebrows. With no eyebrows. How do you think he was perceived there? <laughs> Counselor. Jerry. Counselor. Newman. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 Uh, I saved his life many a times, and I'll leave it at that. Oh. <laughs> I will forever. Erwin Dennis does not pay Jerry Marzullo. <laughs> <laughs> He'll get a kick out of that. All right. well, well, I think since we're on that subject, do you want to go to Corey's thing, or you want? Well, Corey's no, I. You know, um, no. Well, here's what I wanted to talk about. Very serious subject here. Butka. Oh, butka. Not a lot of people know about it. It's like it's a Berwyn thing. Yeah. Uh, in the city of Chicago, Chicago Fire Department, most firehouses on Saturday, corned beef and pizza. Yeah. In Berwyn. Terrible. And, yeah, I'm Irish. And I love I love corned beef. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm a, I hate it. Oh, I love it. Fucking I'll eat horrible. corned beef all the time, you know, and the fact that you hate it if I would make it twice a week. <laughs> <laughs> Because I love it so much, and I knew I would jag you off, oh, and it would so, fucking just make so me horrible. so happy to watch you roll your eyes at another corned beef lunch. Uh, but Berwyn's got Bukta. Bukta. It's a, we're some, in the beginning we were um, predominantly Czechoslovakian, and Bohemian. And this is on it's Saturday? It's on Saturday afternoon. It's okay. fresh, hot uh, veal loaf. Ooh. It's basically a meat loaf. But we used to go to the store, and it'd be hot cooking, and uh, but it's made out of pork and veal. And it's really good, real garlicky. Um, that was the uh, rye bread from Vasecki's Bakery. It has to be it, from Vasecki's. Yeah, it has to be from Vasecki's. Don't you fucking Fresh bring that bullshit in from Joe. Yeah, right in the garbage. <laughs> no I watched them send the new firefighter back to the store because he brought, bought the wrong, wrong canned stuff. tomatoes. Yep. It's oh, yeah. hilarious. Yeah. So um, that was a staple, you know, horseradish, mustard, chips. Once in a while, I'd make huh. my homemade tater tots. <laughs> fresh fresh and, shot. Uh, yeah. yeah, fresh shot of the oven. <laughs> and that was a Saturday afternoon staple. When Saturday was in the morning, we you know we did everything. started the engines and the trucks and all the tools and did all the maintenance stuff like that and checked your packs and everything, and then the rest of the day was yours. So lunch was usually 11, 11.30, getting ready for college football or whatever season, you know, and, and that was it. So that was it. And... When I first started, it was really bohemian. They'd cook one meal for two days. And it was, I would think I started with $5 for the meal, a quarter for the dog, and a quarter for coffee. And that was for the club. And uh, most of the guys would make like a beef roast, and we'd eat beef roast twice. Beef roast and mashed potatoes left, you know. And if whatever they would eat for lunch, that was supper, you know. I was like, oh, my God. You know? <laughs> but we would a lot, of, and big meals, big Sunday meals that you would eat as a family, we'd eat every day at the firehouse. You guys know how that goes. <laughs> So, uh, so your club was five dollars when you started. When I first started, what yeah. was it when you left? When I left shift, I think it was fifteen, maybe. But firefighters eat very well. Yeah. We're up. We're up. Has your firehouse gone past twenty now, Steve? Twenty-five. Yeah, 20, most wow. most 25. have gone to twenty-five well, you now. You can't go to McDonald's for fifteen dollars nowadays. Yeah. You know, so I mean, that's lunch. This episode of Chicago's Bravest Stories brought to you by Illuminated Brew Works, located at sixty-one eighty-six North Northwest Highway. Available now, Millennial Munchie, which is a 13.5% stout made with peanut butter, coconut, and cocoa. Available December 10th, Astronaut Ice Cream. And as always, Tuesday night is Trivia Night at Illuminated Brewworks. Stop by, have amazing beer, 61 
86 North Northwest Highway, Illuminated Brew Works, next door to the car wash. It used to be 20, and now, like, just recently, within the last couple months, uh, most of the city firehouses have moved up to 25. Unfortunately, you can't use that in the collective bargaining <laughs> Arguing for uh, money. Yeah, you can't. But let me tell you about Bukta. It's delicious. Is it really? Yeah. 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 Oh, it is. Del- it's right up your alley, bro. Hot veal loaf. Hot veal, yeah. garlicky hot, veal loaf. Hot veal loaf. It's <laughs> funny to say that. <laughs> that was actually Vince's college nickname was Hot Veal Loaf. That you brought, you Is that what all the girls said? Um, that's all they always said it. They, I've heard it from multiple people. <laughs> so, uh, they called me Butka for short. Yeah, right. okay. Hey, Butka's here. Uh, I haven't, f- now there's not much Butka around now. No, I think Pat and, Pat and Jack's on the south so side. So it's pre-made? It? It's pre-made it. and okay. it's warm yeah. and it's warm. They usually wrapped it up or you could have it sliced or whole. Sure. And they would wrap it up in tinfoil to keep it warm. And then yeah. when we'd get it to the fire station, we'd put the oven on warm, put it on a pot and let it just huh. put it in a thing. Yeah. You're in. B-U-T-C-H-A. Oh, totally in. oh it's oh, really no good. Yeah. Pat and Jack's on the south side. And there's a couple of places. One place up in Antioch because one of the firefighters lived up there. He used to bring it in on Saturday mornings. Yeah. Da- Daisy Brand Sausage Company. Is oh, make, okay. It makes yeah. book though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Huh. So there you go. Shout out to Daisy Brain. My buddy uh, Ed uh, Eddie Boric sells sausage for them. <laughs> All right, Corey, give him your. Uh... Oh, I'm looking at book good now. Well, right. you, um, one one real quick thing: when yeah. I first started in Burrow, and it was Czechoslovakian and. Cermak between Cicero and Burrow, we it was called the Million Dollar Mile because they were all banks. Everybody saved their money there. When I first started being on the ambulance, I had to learn how to speak or at least understand. Bohemian, Czechoslovakian. We have a few guys that did know it. Um, and when I left my career, I had to learn and, or at least how to understand Spanish. So it's kind <laughs> yeah. of a big cycle. Yeah, the amount of places selling booked uh, yeah. and the amount of taco joints. Yeah, kind of flip flop. Yeah, yeah. Flip. yeah. But let me tell you, some of the best tacos around. Oh, yeah. It's a nice taco. Mr. Taco, number 11. There well, one go. of the things <laughs> no onions. I heard I'm about putting out ta- fires. I'm a tacos guy myself. Yeah. One of the things I heard about putting out fires in Berwyn was that back in the day, it was always the father who was the last to come out of the building because they didn't put their money in banks. He was getting all the money out from like underneath the mattress or underneath the floorboard where they would hide all the jewelry and money. Yeah. yeah no, Did they, you know that to be true? Absolutely. They, yeah? they, they'd roll it up in the old roll-up whites. Um, Curtain shades. Right. You'd pull them down, money would come flying out of there. We had a fire. Paul Gardner was uh, inside, and uh, he was working on the truck, and he was pulling. He was a lieutenant on the truck, and they were pulling ceiling. They pulled money over a cabinet, and they were pulling ceilings over a cabinet. And he said, all of a sudden, a pile of cash comes in. He goes, uh, hey, chief. He says, you better send the police and get in here now, because there was a pile of money all over the place. <laughs> he didn't want nothing to do with it. We called the police in, and they you know, sat there. See, the, the, the rumors have been confirmed. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Oh, they said, yeah. I, well, there's a lot of my friends. I said, the first thing I said, if somebody calls a fire, I says, you call me first, because I'm going to the mattress, because I know this guy's got a lot of money. <laughs> Only kidding, I wouldn't do that. Um, well, Chief, my my thing, just because I'm a, a, a character of a human being, I... Um, uh, the only real question I ever ask is uh, is about the pranks around the firehouse. So, like, just judging from this uh, from this mortar uh, award that went out, <laughs> you're probably gonna have a pretty good one. Uh, you got any good ball busts around give the us, firehouse? Give us your good, best yeah, one that you've in seen. 33 wow. years. There yeah. has somebody There's has been a had, couple. 
Well, the best one I was involved with, it, it was ingenious. Um, Greg DeMena, Sammy Molinaro, we, we, our old bunk room in the main station slept eight guys, and it was probably half, maybe double the size of this room, so you'd almost roll over and you could touch the other guy. Um, I slept with guys. I mean, next to guys, not with guys. <laughs> this is a judgment-free podcast. So Sammy was... Um, he liked to sleep in subarctic temperature, cold. Mm. And Greg DeMena in in um, seventy five degree weather is wearing a sweatshirt. So they would always battle with the with the uh, thermostat. Thermostat. So you'd one go up, go to the bathroom, and go up. The other one come down. So Sammy, Greg used to kick it up. Sammy kick it down. So Sammy got up, kicked it down. Greg tied a fishing line to the the, the thermostat. Ran it up through the ceiling to his bed, coming down with an eye hook. And every time Sammy went, he would put it up, and Greg would hear it and pull, would pull it down. And Sammy'd run back. To, oh, that's happening! He's looking at Sammy sleeping. That was one of them. That was, that was a good one. That I, was I, ingenious. Like that one. I was gonna say I've definitely heard the fishing line thing, but now with the therm- yeah. thermostat, it's a new move. There's some engineering behind yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Mark, Mark Delaney. Did you guys ever get trained from him? Paramedic from PSI, but he ended up in Chicago. He's a big hazmat guy. He passed a couple of years ago. Great man. He, I stood up for his wedding. Did they call him the professor? Yeah. 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 He yeah. was good. Um, uh, he taught at the academy. He hooked up an oxygen. He, he, he was a special ranger in the Army. And he hooked up an oxygen um, tank to an IV line, several IV lines, and put the put it to a needle, and it was dripping water on one of the Ray Franz head. I think it was Ray Franz. Maybe. <laughs> they were dripping water on somebody's head. And he turned it on and off. And, and so the guy goes and enters and wakes up our lieutenant. Um, and he says, look, it's roof leaking. It's raining on my head. It's a day like today. No, no not a cloud in the sky. <laughs> Are you out of your mind? He's screaming. Bob Medlicott was the lieutenant. He was screaming at him. And so he kept doing it. <laughs> that was another ingenious one. <laughs> Me, not so much. I'd done some stupid things. Like Mark and I used to race the calls. We were both in. He was a medic ambulance. I was a chase ambulance. Uh-huh. What, what about safe. this? What about this Andy Dufresne looking motherfucker? You got anything from uh, Kalaga? Anything? Uh... <laughs> you're you're gonna throw Kalaga? I played under a little. Kalaga's like, oh, yeah. a good okay. man, but um, yeah. not really for no. first pranks. Uh, yeah. You know, I know he. I, last I feel like I you saw, guys would go back and forth. Oh, just we, like we he, do. We fight all the time. Yeah. Um, last time I saw him, he was he was sitting working for somebody. He was sitting in the engine, and that really freaked me out. <laughs> He doesn't even know how to spell engine, you know, let alone know what to do with a, with a hose line. You had to get him a mental health uh, evaluation. Like, no, you know what he needs. Get out of the engine. What are you doing? You know what he needs? And I love him dearly, but he needs to get punched in the throat. <laughs> I'm only kidding, Brian. Our next fundraiser. He kicked my ass. He's a, he's a bad man. Back in the day, maybe I could hang with Dude, him, but I, not now. These, uh, these, like, snaps that you get, like, it's, it'll be like him walking in. And he's like, look at these. It's like it's like a video of the engine. He's like, what is this thing? Like, why am I signing this? I don't even know what this thing does. Like, how do you work this thing? He's like throwing levers. Like, you have a fucking, Snapchat? I'm a big Snapchat guy. Oh, <laughs> you learn something new every day. See? You well, Chief, <laughs> we appreciate you coming out yeah, Chief, and uh, driving all the way from the south suburbs out to out here to talk to us. If there's one thing you could tell a young man or a young woman coming up trying to get into the fire service what, what, to impact the, their career, what, what would it be that you would tell them? Train, train hard, 
and pick a specialty because you can't be good at everything. You can't be a top-rated hazmat guy. You can't be a top-rated TRT guy. You can't be a top-rated fire investigation. Pick a specialty and stick with it, something that you enjoy, and it, and it, and it makes you uh, want to keep on training and do the best you can. Um, it, that, that could even be EMS, you know, being paramedics or, you know, working uh, – yeah, EMS coordinator. Yeah, EMS coordinator, yeah. you know, be the best you can and uh, give it your all. The most important thing, you guys, the young guys don't see it now, but the most important thing on this job is the tunnel at the end, um, the light at the end of the tunnel, the pension. Thank God for that. Work hard for the benefits um, because it's well-deserved, and um, you can at least live a comfortable life when you retire, which is what I'm doing right now. Yeah. Amen. I still have my hang, my shingle hanging out there for a few. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, yeah. yeah. Thank, thank you, you for being much, here. Chief. You're welcome. Thank, thank you, you so much. The opinions and views are that of Chicago's bravest stories and their guests. They do not necessarily reflect the views of any municipal governments fire protection districts, fire departments, EMS, or law enforcement organizations.